Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, the last day of July. It's July 31st today. We are here live. We're going to open the phone lines right now. It is a free-for-all. We've got no guests today. We've got no theme. Anything you want to talk about is fair game. Just pick up the phone and join me. 855-950-3835. I've got a couple things to talk about while we get some calls lined up here. So jump in and join me. I might as well get this one out of the way. The big news is Yellow filed bankruptcy, uh, I believe, sometime over the weekend. They're done. Um, It's about time. Put that thing to rest and move on. Uh, The tough part are the employees. There's no doubt. But these are part of life choices. You decided to work for a union. um, And look, any company can go out of business. Happens all the time. Companies this big going out of business, it is a big deal. But honestly, this company should have been out of business a long time ago. When the union gave all those concessions, when the government gave them our money, really bad ideas, and here we are. Now they're just done. So all of our money was just wasted, completely wasted. The whole point was to save this company. It didn't happen. Government should get the hell out of business because they don't understand it. Nobody else was willing to invest in yellow to try to keep them going. Why would the government take our money and do it? And here we are. It's gone. We said that several years ago when they were doing it. And here we are. So yellow's done. Um, I had a pretty good day on the river yesterday. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I am definitely feeling it today. Uh, I got out in the water pretty early yesterday with the wing and had pretty decent winds. Some of the best winds I've had out there, and I was really getting in a couple good runs. And then the wind really picked up. I had the strongest wind I've had. Uh, Probably they were gusting up over 25 miles an hour, probably, and steady for a while. I bet it was steady at 22 or 23 and that is a lot of wind. You know, it's, it's, I'm learning the opposite of what we look for in aerodynamics. You know, we know that pushing through the wind is really difficult and takes a lot of energy. We don't think about it much, I don't think. Especially in a vehicle, you don't really realize. Occasionally, you'll get a headwind, a really strong headwind, and then you can kind of feel it. But this is the opposite. We're using the power of that wind to propel us. We're capturing that wind. And the power I could feel in that wing with that much wind was incredible. And the crashes got kind of spectacular, and I'm really feeling it today. Um, I probably went too long, and I'm feeling that. And towards the end, of course, you start to get tired, and then the crashes got really spectacular. Uh, One of the last ones I caught a wingtip. When that happens, your wing kind of buries in the water and then you go head first over the wing, which is what I did. And I was probably going about 30 miles an hour when I did it. And I went head first and landed inside my wing. My wing landed upside down in the water. Then I landed in the wing. They're surprisingly strong for how thin that material is because it didn't rip. And then I was just kind of floating in the wing But I really tweaked my arm. I thought, yeah, it's probably time to quit. And then I didn't quit. I tried two or three more runs and then really decided I better quit. Um, 
Calls are coming in. I'm going to get to them here in just a minute. Keep them coming. 855-950-3835. Friday got a little interesting on the uh, Twitter space. I'm not sure if we have a good recording of it yet. My recording did not work. I've got some weird little glitch that I haven't been able to find yet that my recording will start just fine on Twitter. And then at some point, the audio stream stops. And I have not been able to figure out why. I think that's the second or third time it's happened. Uh, I know in the past, Aaron has a, a hack. He can save and, and he's got a backup recording, but it's, it takes a long time. Uh, to process it. So I'm not sure if we have that recording up yet or not. I'll check. Um, it definitely got interesting. Um, I had several people want to debate me, so it got um, got a little out of control for a while. Although I will say um, I started off the show by by calling out that new association I've been talking about. I, I'm not sure what it is about associations for owner-operators. I've talked about this before, that we don't really have an association the way I'm used to them. In fact, I would say the closest now really is NASTIC. Uh, That's why I'm glad I'm partnered with them. They have an annual event. They have true education that they run every month. That is much, much more like an association. Uh, I did not belong to them uh, because by the time I found out about them, I really didn't qualify. I was leased to a carrier. Now, over the years, they've changed that. You can be a member. Um, You do have to go through their one-day carrier training if you don't have your authority in five trucks, I think. That may have changed. We'll get all those answers. Uh, I think David Owen's coming back to join me here in a week or two, a couple weeks maybe. Um, I've talked about that whole association thing before. I belong to a lot of associations in other areas. Well, I used to. I don't belong to some of these anymore, but I'm very familiar with how associations work. Uh, Even in trucking, the other associations, like the TCA, the Truckload Carriers Association, that to me runs like an association. They have lots of education and their, their real goal is to help their members operate their business better. They don't do a lot of political lobbying, a little bit here and there, but they primarily focus on helping their members run their business. Best practices, more education. If I look at the TIA, the Transportation Intermediaries Association, um, that's the brokers. Same thing, lots of education, annual meetings, multiple meetings, multiple ways to learn how to run your business better. We don't have much of that. These owner-operator associations almost tend to be vigilante groups. They just think they're going to form an association and change the world. And kudos for trying, I guess, but I'm just shocked at some of these. So I called out NOOA, I think that's right, or NA, I don't know, NAOO. National Owner Operator Association, NOOA. I called them out a couple weeks ago and then again after that for just making personal attacks every time somebody disagreed with them. And I mean, it didn't even have to be a big disagreement. 
Uh, I disagreed with them on broker transparency. I said, you should be very careful what you wish for. Broker transparency, in my mind, will drive rates down. Rate transparency is always a race to the bottom. I don't know why we would want this. Well, I do know why. It's almost always being asked for by a bunch of owner operators who don't know their own numbers, and yet they think they have the right to know somebody else's numbers because they think it's their fault they're not succeeding. They, they just don't want to take the time to understand business, the economic cycle, the freight cycle. They seem to be ignorant of all of those things, and then they're ignorant of their own numbers and their own business, but they want to blame this stuff on everybody else. And I called them out for, not for those things, but for being so confrontational and making personal attacks on anybody that disagrees with them. And honestly, you don't even have to disagree with them. Just do something they disagree with. So on Friday, Thursday, sometime last week, FreightWaves posted several articles about surge transportation, one of the big digital brokers that um, has filed a reorganization bankruptcy. There are two types of bankruptcy, both personal and business. I don't even try to keep all the chapter stuff straight, chapter 7, 11, 13. I think there's four different, you have to remember if you're trying to remember business and personal. It's really not important to me which one is which, because if a company is filing, I'll just read which one it is and then go figure it out. But for some reason, I have a mental block. I never remember them either, and nobody else does unless you're a bankruptcy attorney. But they are filing a reorganization, not a total bankruptcy. So here's two examples. Yellow is filing bankruptcy and ceasing operation. The doors are shut. At that point, it goes to a bankruptcy court and they decide how to close out the business, how to sell off the assets, take the money, start sending it out to creditors, and there are laws about who gets paid first. And then at some point, the company just disappears and they're gone forever. Then there's a reorganization bankruptcy. That gives you some relief from your creditors trying to collect against you. Uh, some of your creditors probably are not going to get paid in a reorganization as well. That's the point. The company's in trouble. The reorganization is trying to save it before we lose the whole company. It's like the last chance. That's what Surge filed. Now, those are laws. If you don't like those laws, you should fight to change them. Those are bankruptcy laws. Nothing to do with trucking or brokers. You know, a lot of these guys are screaming, oh my God, they're still posting loads and they're bankrupt. They better be posting loads they're in business. Not all bankruptcies mean you're out of business. So I had to argue with them about that. They, they, were, they really thought that somehow Surge was breaking some law and trying to rip people off, and they were posting about it. Look, look, they're still posting loads. No, they are posting loads. They better be posting loads. They better be out there trying to turn this around. That's the point. They really attacked freight waves and some of the freight waves writers over this. And again, disagree all you want, but stop the personal attacks. It just doesn't do any good. They were calling freight waves shills for, you know, surge. And I, I understand where this comes from. 
so first off, let me say this. Uh, I did get, I believe it was the vice president of this organization. I've, had, I've talked to a couple different officers. Uh, they have apologized to me. I will say that they, they made an apology for me. And then I ignored them for the most part. I just decided I was going to stay away from them because we're too far apart on our ideas, not even worth debating. But I am going to point out, I do this all the time in our industry. I point out lots of things I think that are wrong. I especially go after groups like this or groups that are claiming to train drivers and owner operators. I go do the, you know, a deep dive, figure out what they're all about. And if they're good, I point people to them. Here's a good asset. If they're bad, I call them out. I'm going to continue to do that. And I did it. And and again, they apologized to me after I called them out the first time. I decided to just stay away from them. Then I saw what they did to Freight Waves. So I decided I'm calling them out again. This is a really bad idea. I think Freight Waves is a, a, it's not that I agree with everything they write. My God, they put out a lot of material. They have some really good writers. They have some really good podcasts. They have really good data. Uh, So I use their data quite a bit. Whether you agree with them or not, they're not some evil company shilling for big digital brokers. They're just not. That's not what's going on. In fact, for me right now, they're one of the more responsible journalism outlets. I feel like I can trust them. It's They report. I can read it. I know what's going on. I don't see them have any big bias in any one direction around any topics. Seems to be pretty responsible journalism to me, which is hard to find these days. Here's part of the, oh, no, I want to get to my point here. So I am going to give kudos to, I think, again, it was the vice president. On the Twitter spaces, sometimes it gets hard to know who's talking, especially when we start debating and a lot of people start jumping in and out, which is what was happening, but I think it was the vice president. It was one of their officers. And he came on and he said, let me explain to you. He said, you're, you're saying we're very confrontational. And he said, that's, that's what we're going to do. This is how we're going to make changes. Now I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember his exact words, but the gist was very clear And I thanked him for it. I said, well, thanks for being honest. Good luck with that model, but thanks for being honest. Their model is they are going to be confrontational. It looks like they're just going to go after anybody who disagrees with them in any way. And you can expect it to be personal because that's the way they've been doing it so far. So I said, well, look, thanks for being honest. Now we know what we're dealing with. I'd love to get some feedback on this. And I want people to be honest. Is is there a chance this could work? Does it? I don't want to influence anybody's answer to this. I think people know how I feel, but I'd really like to get some honest feedback. If you're out there and you think that owner operators are being screwed and taken advantage of and you're not really represented, is this the kind of representation you would want? Would you want a group that is very confrontational, even with people who are good for owner operators. Let's set the broker thing aside for a second because that's a hot button, but those are your customers. I don't know why you would want a group that gets confrontational with your customers, but a lot of owner operators are okay with that. I'm sure I've seen a lot of owner operators who think you should be confrontational with brokers. I don't get it, but I I think a lot of people believe that way. 
seen it. Well, what about these other groups? Do you, should you really uh, look? It'd be one thing to call out a journalism um, outlet and say, "Boy, that was." I disagree with that article. I disagree with what you wrote. But to call them personal names, shills, that's insulting. Really is. It's childish to call names. But do, maybe some people believe that you know, tame the name calling down. But maybe they should be this confrontational. I would love to hear from somebody who believes in this approach. I don't. I don't think it will work. Maybe I'm wrong. Here's one of the things I see that happens with owner operators and drivers, especially. You know, I talk all the time about there can't be any kind of price control or monopoly in trucking because there are way too many trucking companies and way too many brokers. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. There's no way you can have a monopoly in an environment like that to even think that anybody could control rates with that many players because, look, add them all up. Add up all the carriers with authority and all the brokers because that is the potential competition you have when you go to a shipper. There's no way there can be a monopoly, and yet these people scream that the brokers are controlling rates. It's just ignorant. I'm not not even going to enter into those kind of debates anymore. But here's what they're missing. The trucking industry is very has a lot of players in the like carrier broker space, no doubt. When you look at support companies and groups in the industry, this is a very, very small industry. Nationwide, there are only so many players in the other areas, like um, associations, there's one, um, groups that actually help and service owner-operators. There's not many of those, and just about everybody knows everybody. Anybody involved, anybody that goes to the national events, the TCA conferences, the TIA conferences, I do not go to ATA events at all, uh, but I have been to TCA many, many times, TIA, um, truck shows, we've had events. When you start going to those events, you find out how small this industry is. So, when Freightwaves might write an article about a big digital broker, they more than likely have a relationship with that broker. Now, it may not be a working relationship. They're, they're a, a data and journalism organization, but they've probably interviewed these people many times, probably done stories about them over the years, probably met in person at conferences and spent time with them. These people are not evil. Let, let's start with that. I, I made a statement that I believe about 90 plus percent of the people I do business with are really honest people. And I was laughed at, laughed at. I, and I was shocked. I, I did not expect that. I just thought most people think that way. Do we really believe that more than 10% of the people in business are, are out to cheat people? That, that seems to be their take when I said over 90% are honest. And I, honestly, if I put it in the people I deal with, I would put it in the high 90%. I don't find many people who are just criminals or crooks or trying to cheat people. Now, I do find businesses that aren't being run very well, and it might seem like they're trying to cheat you because their customer service is so awful or their systems are so awful. I get that. I run into that a lot. 
I might almost say the opposite. 90% of businesses aren't run all that well or efficient, but they're not crooks. I don't believe that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong on this one, though. Let me know about that, too. But I think when you, if you're not attending these national events within your industry and you don't realize that, that's what leads to this attitude of just everybody's crooks and oh my God, if Freightwaves wrote a good article about Surge or even even praised them a little bit, which is what they did in this article, they reported the facts, there was some commentary in there, but now all of a sudden, all of Freightwaves is just corrupt. But this is how this organization has told me they are going to operate. They are going after people. I mean, that was the gist of what they said. That's how they believe they are going to be able to make change in the industry. Now, I keep asking them what change, and all I ever really get is broker transparency and and a couple other things that I don't really see making much of a change at all, but um, just my opinion. Now I want to hear your opinion, so let me know. We're going to get to some calls. It is a free-for-all. You can talk about anything you want. Let's uh, let's get started. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Wade, welcome to the program. Well, Kevin, here's my opinion. You started out uh, morally bankrupt and corrupt, and you got an apology, so it's possible Omar could get one too. Yeah, and again, I, I, I thanked them several times for apologizing to me. It, it, it means something, but then, and then I thought, well, maybe there's a chance to work with them. You know, maybe we got off to the wrong foot, emotions got high, tempers flared, there were some names called. I get it. We all get a little crazy when there's too many emotions. So after they apologized, I thought, all right, maybe I could, you know, maybe not support them, but I don't have to watch them so close and um, attack them if, you know, whatever. Um, But then when they told me, this is our model, this is how we're doing it. Well, thank you for being honest. And I did. I thanked him. It's good to know. But I can't imagine how that can work. Yeah, I don't think, uh, you know, I, th- I think you basically came to the same conclusion. Yes, okay, you, they may think there's more of a problem than you do, but I think you both agree there is a problem. You're choosing a certain direction to solve the problem. They're choosing a, another direction, which is great. I don't think their direction is going to be effective because in order for it to be effective, someone has to decide who who is a good person and who is not, who is corrupt and who is not. And we're going to have to weed those people out. Who who gets to be the final one to say who is good and who isn't? That's a very good point. And how do you even do this? Going back through a company Surge Transportation that grew fast, had tons and tons of tech money thrown at it. But we've seen this over and over. This is nothing new. I've been talking about this for five or six years all the money in trucking technology is kind of making a mess of trucking. I feel like they they put a hurting on truck stop. I mean, that was big tech money. That that changed that whole company. But it is what it is. You know, that's, that's, they're not doing anything illegal. But to try to unwind how complicated a company like Surge is and just to say, well, they were just crooks. I, no, they weren't. They weren't just crooks. They were people with money and an idea and they failed. That happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, I think a better approach that they could take would be to come out. Um, NOOA could come out with a list of brokers, almost the same as NASDAQ has and say, here's a list of non-corrupt brokers. Here's the ones you should work with. But what I don't like is the idea that NO, 
NOOA could potentially, you know, stop a guy like Matt from working with a broker that he deems to be acceptable, but they don't deem him to be acceptable. So are they going to be the moral authority to tell the government who should go out of business and who shouldn't? Maybe a guy like Matt, who's been wildly successful in the industry, should be the one to make these calls. Not Maybe not people who are failing. I agree with you, but here's the other thing we have to remember. If you believe that you are you're not going to cooperate with other groups in the industry who may even agree with you that, yes, there's a problem. Now, when they start making statements like broker transparency is the biggest problem in our industry and it's killing our economy. And I I can't agree with that. It's not the biggest problem in our industry, not even close. Is it a problem? Are We already have laws. This is where it really gets crazy. Enforce the laws that are already there, but there's no way to do it. So why do we keep wanting to write regulations that can't be enforced? But here's the other thing. If you're going to make change, it takes horsepower to make change, especially at the government level. It's almost impossible, in my opinion. That's why I don't choose to go that route. But if you're going to do it, you need some serious horsepower. OIDA doesn't get much done at the at that level, and they have 180-some thousand members, and they've been around for 50 or 60 years. They still don't get a whole lot accomplished in Congress. How does this group think with with no history, no real membership to speak of, they talk about 40,000 members, but I understand they have a free membership option. If you have a free membership option, that is zero members. It's so easy to check a box and say, yeah, I'll join. Put some skin in the game, and then I'll tell you if that's a real member or not. I don't know what their real numbers are, but they're nowhere near the place where they have any clout or or credibility at all anywhere. They have zero credibility in the industry because nobody knows who they are. They haven't done anything. How could they have credibility? And when your first exposure to them is if you slightly disagree with them and they start attacking, that's not a good way to build relationships, but they don't want to. That's what they're claiming. They don't want to get along with other groups. They're going to do things their way. Well, you will get zero done like this. Nobody in Washington is going to listen to you and take this group seriously. How could they? The the groups we have, that NASTIC and OIDA, they don't get a whole lot done at the congressional level. There's just not enough money there. You look at the the kind of lobbyists that actually get things done in our government, unfortunately, it just takes a lot of money and a lot of clout. Now, the way you would build that clout is to is to create partnerships, not make enemies. I mean, why would you why yeah, would groups uh, like this go uh, after other groups that are actually here to help owner operators? Freightwaves does a like I said, their their journalism is excellent. They came out of nowhere and now they're one of the best sources of information and financial data in our industry. I I like that. That's a great resource to have. Why would you try to make enemies out of people like that? Yeah. Um yeah, it sounds and you know, maybe I misspoke a little bit because it sounds like most of their their uh, directors or whatever you want to call their uh, uh, officers, they sound like they're running somewhat half-decent businesses. It sounds like maybe, you know, Max seems like a decent business owner. He's solved these Max. issues for himself. Absolutely. The way, the I, way that you recommend to solve them, 
but for some reason he doesn't want to help other people solve them in the same way he wants it it just doesn't it's not jiving in my mind like it, there's a clear way to me why you want to solve it the way you've solved it because it worked it for works. you and one person at a time you can help one person at a time but this idea that you know we have to instead of just solving problems on an individual level we have to try to come up with some kind of big complicated scheme to solve them it it's so- you're never going to stop new people from coming into the market that may be corrupt. And it's going to be a constant, just a constant circle in and out. It really is. And, you know, the point came down to we do agree that these are problems. We probably don't agree on the size or magnitude of the problem. Uh, I'm not dropping everything and running to Washington to try to get a broker transparency bill. That's just not going to happen. I don't want transparency, period. I think that's a bad idea. I think you should be very careful what you wish for. That's a bad idea. I just do not see any advantage whatsoever to knowing what that broker got paid for that load. Right, yeah. I think uh, it's a bad idea. So, yeah, I tend to look at things through, like, the the same scope you do. It's all about personal responsibility, and that's kind of why I called. So... Let me tie this into why I called. If, you know, credit card companies can largely be looked at as scamming people. I mean, they're they're charging outrageous interest rates. Yeah. I don't think that credit cards should be outlawed. I think we should have more education about what they are and what they do to people, how they take advantage of people. Not, you know, people allow the credit cards to take advantage of them. It's not like they're going door to door and making people sign up for these cards. But you can solve like that's an issue that some people might look at as well. This is predatory and the government should do something about it. But I I've found a way to solve these issues on my own. Like I don't need I don't need the government to outlaw credit cards. I can look at a credit card, look at the terms and say, well, this is just stupid. I'm not using this. Or Um, or even so we can just because we understand the system so many people use credit cards the way the credit card company wants them to, that they create these programs to incentivize people to do it more and more. And that's where the opportunity is. Now, if you understand the system, they give away, they might charge high interest rates. Some give away crazy points too. So once you figure that out and you start using the points against them, there's nothing they can do to stop it. They wrote the rules and they get that people take advantage of them in this way, but it's so small, they don't care. That They'll keep giving away those points to encourage people to charge more on their cards because they know the majority of people will not pay off the balances every month. So not only can you solve this problem yourself, you can turn these problems into opportunities. The credit card is a great example of that. Right. Now, I, you know, you're right. I do not want the government solving my problems ever. It just doesn't work. Here's another good example. Let's continue with the credit card idea. Credit cards are heavily regulated. The government and states have limits on how high of interest rates they can charge. That is a, that's a thing. Heavily regulated. They found industry will always find ways around regulations. Let me give you two examples of how these companies who want to lend money figured out a way to make more money without, with, even with these regulations in place. Payday loans, 
and factoring. And what do I try to tell people about factoring? Use a credit card instead. It's a much, much better deal. But this is just ways that companies found ways around these lending laws. I have seen examples of factoring companies charging 60% annual interest. 60%. And it's legal. Hmm. Yeah, so anyway, um, the reason I called today was... um, Mint.com and personal net worth. Um, back in November of 2015, I finally decided to take your advice. I read the total money makeover. I've called you about this before, by the way. Good. Um, and so we, I read the book, convinced my wife. We were brand new married at the time. Um, I said, you know, we came into marriage and she brought a bunch of student loan debt and a car payment. And I'm like, hey, this is stressing me out. So talk to her into going through with the plan. So we started uh, January 1st of 2016. We started with um, 301000 in debt, including our mortgage. So that was about 200000 And we had about 100000 in consumer debt. Okay. Um, started off with, a, I think, a roughly $35,000 net worth. So last week, with the way the market's been going, um, it took us about 18 months from the start of the plan to pay off our consumer debt. So we paid off at a rate of about 50000 per year. Congratulations. Making that's, 110 That's incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. Really. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Though. So now, last as of last week, with, with the cash we have at home in the state, we just bumped over $500,000 net worth. Wow. In roughly... So, uh, since 2016. So it's about seven and a half years. Let me ask you something. Um, did your, and I know it, it probably did go up. Almost everybody did during that time, but did your, your income go up significantly during that time? Um, so when we got married, the first year we filed taxes together, I think our income was 115. And I'd say, our trajectory since then, I think we went 115 to 126 to 156. Our highest was in 2021. We made 179. Nice. Last year, we went back down to 156 uh, due to okay. that wonderful so, COVID vaccine mandate. My wife was forced out of her job. <laughs> so what do you credit the revenue going up? What, what helped you make? Because that is a significantly more money in that period of time. What do you credit that? What happened? Um, so the, I would say the overwhelming main thing was my wife was able to work part-time 16 to 20 hours a week, um, during 21. Okay. And she made $70,000 making working 16 to 20 hours a week as a nurse. Wow. It was crazy money. It was ridiculous. I mean, she was making, she was making, 800 to 1,000 per eight-hour shift. It was ridiculously... Wow. <laughs> it was nuts. <laughs> yeah. But so... But that that all went was, away now. I mean... Yeah. But was the decision for her to go back to work part-time triggered by the fact that you wanted to get out of debt? Um. Well, she had... Uh, we were out of debt fairly quickly as far as um, consumer debt. Now we're kind of just like... We're, we're being what Ramsey calls intentional. We're not being intense anymore. We're just being intentional. So we're not paying off crazy levels like we were before, but um, we were out of debt by the point that those big income spikes came, but you know, just 
just having goals, oh, I, I would no, say that, that, having that, financial that, goals is the biggest reason we that, increase our income. That's actually what I was getting to, and you just answered it. You actually paid the debt off, the consumer debt, before the revenue ever increased. Then the Correct, revenue yeah. increased. So what I was kind of getting to was all that really changed in order for you to pay off that much debt and and really increase your net worth in a pretty short period of time. All that seemed to have changed in my mind was you gained a little knowledge and you made a decision. Nothing else changed. That's correct. You made a decision. No, I mean, you, I mean, you, you read a book, gained a little knowledge, made a decision to get out of debt, and then look what happened. I mean, this is a pretty incredible story, but yeah. it comes down to making a decision, nothing else. Everybody listening to me right now has the ability to make that same decision. Yeah, I mean, Audible, it was a $15 book credit that changed my life. I mean, that's what it cost me. Now, since then, you know, we were far out of debt. We decided to take my sister-in-law through the program. So we did end up buying $200 worth of Ramsey's courses, you know, one Good. for us and one for my sister-in-law. But it, it, we were already out of debt at that point. It's not like he's, you can do this with almost no cost. I mean, you can just turn his radio show on and Absolutely. listen to it and you'll get right. the gist of the book. Right. It's, I mean, it's... It's just incredible. And all of this, I've told you before, it all came from a recommendation on your show. I just happened to be listening one day and you you had said it probably 15 times or 20 times before that, that I heard <laughs> and I just ignored it. And then one time, as soon as I got married, soon that, saw that debt on my shoulders now, I'm like, oh shit, we got to do something about this. <laughs> and you did. Congratulations. And then I called her, you know, it's always a funny, it's a funny thing. You pick up the phone, you call your wife and she rolls her eyes when you say, Hey, I've been thinking about something. I got oh, an idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody gets worried around but, here when yeah, I say this, things this, like that. I've heard you take a couple calls recently with these, you know, your recommendations were to start mint and to work the Dave Ramsey plan. You know, you had the guy who was thinking about buying the truck. He has a $120,000 net worth. The couple that are running team, they're making about a hundred. You know, that was spot on advice he gave them. I think if they take six months and just work the Ramsey plan, number one, they're going to prove to themselves that they can handle money properly. Number two, after the six months, they're going to be in a much better financial position because of the Ramsey plan. And it's just a win-win. Even if at the end of it, if they decide to hold off for another year, they're going to be better off six months from now if they follow the plan. The guy with the $128,000 net worth, he is he is off to a great start another year, another six months. He might be ready now, whatever. He's doing great. I mean, it's just so rare to find people that are doing that good. You know, I... I I'm 31 years old, by the way. I, and I, I was just about to say, and it's funny you mentioned your age at, right then. My next sentence was going to be, I love working with young people. I find so much more success with young people than I do with my peer group in trucking. My peer group, 50 to 60, you know, maybe even 50 to 70 right now, I would kind of say is, is the group that I've been in trucking with the longest time. I mean, I have a hard time working with a lot of those guys. And I'm not saying they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. They know trucking inside and out. Where I run into problems with this group is business. They, they don't know business. Many of them don't want to know business, and yet they want to own a truck. So that can be a challenge. Um, the two groups that are far easier for me to work with are young people 
That's one group that's easy to work with. Not all of them. In fact, the majority of young people I don't even want to talk to. But boy, when you find those those gems, and I've found a couple of them recently, um, I love that. The other group is people in a second career. Trucking is a second career for them. And they came out of either a business or some management. Oh, man. Those yeah. people are so yeah, easy you got to a guy, work with. And I can shut... The guy that called a couple weeks ago. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Warren, he has the pallet deal out of Sugar Creek. And I think, oh, man, this guy, this guy is getting ready to launch uh, one hell of a career in trucking. I mean, he's about to make it. You know, uh, since I've been over on Twitter, several stories from our past have come back. I mean, people that used to either listen to the show, come to our events, and then, you know, maybe they dropped out when we were off serious. I don't know. But uh, on Twitter, a couple people came back and they're really incredible stories. If you listen to Twitter spaces, you're very familiar with uh, TJ. TJ popped into my space one day, hadn't heard from him since probably 2014 or 15. He came to two CMCs in a row, and I think it was 14 and 15. And I met him there. He was young. He had a great business model. He was moving wine, uh, starting to grow a company. And then I hadn't heard from him in years. And just this year on Spaces, he pops back in. He now has 80 trucks multiple terminals. He runs, uh, basically, he's really kind of a wine and spirits distributor, more than just a trucking company. Um, Based in California, has a terminal in Texas and on the East Coast, I think. Incredible company. I mean, it's just, I I love what he's built there. Then just this week, um, another CMC graduate popped in, which is also a great story. Ted, Ted came to the first CMC when he was 19. And like I said, this is not a cheap ticket. And he made that commit. It was kind of funny because um, he had to give, we have, we have events at night at the CMC receptions and all kinds of things. And um, we had drink tickets and he had to give his drink tickets away because he wasn't old enough to drink. I just thought that was hilarious. Um, Ted now has a very successful trucking company uh, with 10 or 11 owner operators leased to him and an office and secretary and dispatch and the whole thing. Pretty incredible stories that I don't take credit for these. They, these people, both of those two would have succeeded without me. I have no doubt in my mind. I do believe it would have taken them a little longer. I think I helped shortcut their process for them with the CMC, but they would have succeeded either way. But I, I just love yeah. those kinds of stories, and that's what education does. Yep. Yep, and that's the, that was the reason for my call today. I, that, all is I want to do is not, you know, as Matt always says, I'm not trying to brag, but if it inspires somebody to, if one person downloads Ramsey's book or one person goes in and starts mint.com, that, that's a win. That is a win for this call. So, you know, let me tie that's that all in. I got today. No, hold on one second. Don't run off yet. I want to tie this into yep. my I'm open <laughs> about the associations that I disagree with that keep trying to represent owner operators. And they all seem to have the same approach. They're all going to go to D.C. They're all going to protest. They're all going to, you know, get laws changed. M- most of them come and go. I have watched probably 40 of these things, not exaggerating come and go and disappear over my time in the industry. 
and I'm predicting this one is, isn't going to make it. Um, but here's the difference. I talked about true associations. That's what they do. What we're doing right here, sharing numbers and best practices with technically people who are competitors or could potentially be our competitors. And yet you find in almost any industry, the best companies are all willing to share this stuff. I always thought that was weird the first time I went to one of these meetings. There's a, there's a concept in car dealerships called a 20 group. And what they do is they get 20 dealers around the country that don't really compete with each other because they're not in the same market. And then they share best practices. One, one of the 20 group might have the best service department in the business. They teach the other dealer owners how to have a better service department. One of them is really good at marketing and sales. And they share all of this stuff. They share all of their financial information. So you can see what everybody is doing. I think that's brilliant. I love that concept. That, that's kind of what we do here. Yeah, I'd like to not, do it on a bigger scale. That's not just a bunch of greedy capitalists trying to make more money either. No. It's, it's actually serving the marketplace. Making, yes. When you make that service department perform better, it makes an overall better customer experience. It helps the customer. It's not about, oh, how can I get these tricks to scam somebody into, into some car purchase? That's not what it's about. It's about improving your service so... 10% more people want to come to your dealership than the car dealership that's 30 minutes down the road. That's the point of it. I just had a lightning you're strike not a, You're idea. not going out and... <laughs> I oh boy, here we go. Lightning. I just <laughs> figured out why this happens. I don't know why I didn't think of this sooner. Uh, you are correct. It, it's funny what you said, though. I'm going to go back on this. You said it's not a bunch of greedy capitalists trying to make more money. That, in a sense, is kind of correct, but not really. Then you said it's all about the customer. It is. It's all about the customer, right? They're teaching. They're not teaching how to make more money. They're teaching how to get have a really, really happy, satisfied customer. When you get good at having really good, happy, satisfied customers, what happens? You they're willing to pay money. you more. That's right. You make more money. So technically it is. They're willing. Right. They're, this is why capitalism is so good. It's a win-win when it's done right. When it's done with the intention to serve the customer, everybody wins. If you get into business to just make money, you're going to have a problem. Here's why these associations fail. Here's why this owner-operator model doesn't work for a lot of people. They don't think they have customers. That's why these associations don't focus on best practices and serving your customers better. Most owner-operators, uh, this group admitted to me, brokers are not our customers. Yes, they are by every business decision I'm aware of, <laughs> but they claim they're well, not. Kevin, here. And, and when I said, well, wait a minute, yeah. you've got a problem then, because mm -hmm. as a business owner, if you don't have a customer, I don't know how you succeed. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how to get better at anything if you don't have a customer. And then they said, well, the shippers are a customer. Well, you've got another problem then. You've decided to take on a customer that you have no contact with. What good is that? What good is a customer that you don't interact with other than to show up on their dock and bitch that you can't use their bathroom? That's about the only interaction you have with them. So again, I'll tell you, if this is your business model, I don't know how you succeed like this. 
Well, Kevin, hey, I'm I'm uh, I'm a company driver, and I got to tell you, I'm here at a customer of my customer, so I got to let you go so I can yeah, serve these go. people well and keep making this money. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations, great job. And I want more of those stories. I don't care if it sounds like people are bragging about their money. I don't know why we're so hung up on talking about money. Really, we all want to have more of it, and yet we're not willing to talk about it candidly. So we are going, anybody who wants to share their numbers, personal business, whatever, we will. If you want to share your numbers anonymously, I will do that too. You don't have to come on the air and give us your name. You could come on the air, give us a false name if you want, or you can just send in the numbers and I'll go over them. The groups like the TIA put out a report every year. They do a survey of their brokers and they ask their brokers to fill in their financial information. How many loads did you move? What was the value of the loads? What was your total gross revenue? What were your expenses for things like payroll and office? And it's basically a P&L that they're filling out. The TIA then puts it all together and anonymously, you don't know which company any of these are. We don't need to know that. But boy, I love reading those kinds of reports and seeing what's possible and seeing how some companies are doing. We need to do more of that in our industry, and that's kind of why we do it here on the air. Let's go to South Carolina this time. Terrence, welcome. What's up, Kev? Hey, I just wanted to apologize for yelling on the spaces on Friday, but... You that don't dude, have to apologize. He just, he don't, he don't, he cuts people. Well, no, I do. It wasn't the way I go about it. He just cuts people off, man. And, 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 and then I'm, I'm going to start fact checking him when I listen. I'm going to write down what he says and stuff. Cause he throws out stuff and, and I, I'm beginning to think the half the stuff he's saying is bullshit. He just throws <laughs> facts out or claims it's facts. And then it's like, and then he cuts people off. And so I'm just, you know, whatever. That's, I'm done with that. But uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, him and I have a pretty long history. We go back to, remember, I'm thinking it was probably around 2017, maybe even 2016, and I think it was mostly around ELDs. Remember when the whole thing really took off about going to D.C. and and protesting and, you know, they they had the 10-4 D.C. days, whatever all those things were. I was very, very critical of all of those things, and I would still be critical of them today. And look, seven years later, did any of that stuff do any good at all? Not that I can see. No. Not that, not that I saw if there's some law that got changed or but even if it did, I didn't notice it. I don't think it was any big deal, uh, but I was critical of those. And that was the first time Mac and I kind of ran into each other and we went at it hard. I mean, kind of like you guys were doing. And I, I it took a while. And I but I started to realize, though, his heart was in the right place. It really was. And, and you know, he can be really uh, upfront and in your face. And, and, but I will tell you what, he's mellowed out a lot over the years too. Um, him and I, <laughs> he really has. Um, but I also said this on the call. I don't remember when him and I first started going at it and it got, it got heated. I don't remember him ever making a personal attack. And, and that's right. Me is right. The yeah, I mean, I, yes. It can get frustrating if you keep yelling over each other. I get that, but, but he never made a personal attack. So I never, ever said, I'm not talking to that guy anymore. 
Um, and now him and I, can, right, yeah. we can usually have a fairly reasonable discussion. Although I got frustrated, him and I were yelling at each other and screaming over each other a couple times as well. But again, he, he doesn't make it personal, yeah, you know, but, and his heart's in the right place. I, I understand why he does what he no, does. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I can see what, but my, the thing was, like, you asked the question about what we thought about that group. To me, I'm being honest with you, this is what it sounds It sounds like old 1970s, like I remember when I was a younger kid with the unions and all that. They were beating yes. people. I mean, like, you know this. You, you were, I mean, that's what it almost sounds like these people are trying to do. That's not going to work, in my opinion. It's not going to work doing that. Well, you, you know what I mean? But if they want to do it that way, more power to them. Let them see how fair it's for them. Yeah, we, but they're also, too, the thing with them is, Go ahead. I, I just don't understand how you think you can get anything done by making enemies of everybody who just disagrees with you a little bit. And then and then when I, I even then when I try to tell them, look, guys, disagree with these groups all you want, but stop the personal attacks. Nobody responds well to that. And they, they have decided, no, they're, they're not going to stop personal attacks. This is their model. Uh, the way he the way he said it's like when when we're gonna we're, when it's, we're gonna be heard and we're gonna we're gonna what it continues to do this I'm like oh, okay well you can be heard but who's really gonna you know want to get behind you or do anything for you when you if you like you said you start if, doing personal attacks it's crazy if you think this model will work you better figure out how you're gonna get to a hundred and fifty thousand plus paying members. <laughs> then you might have some clout, but don't even think that you have much then. Owida's got those numbers. They don't have a whole lot of clout. They're not getting anything made. Now, I will say Owida's done some good over the years, but honestly, for all the effort they've put into it at the at the federal level, I, I don't see much that's changed that made any difference in my business. No. The, what, the other thing, too, with that, with that the, the, the way... They complain about, I get it, you want, that's maybe, they're thinking they're trying to help people, but just, just take the brokers alone. Like I said, I told you a story many times. When I was leased to a company back in early, you know, the late 90s, I had a book. Every time we, they sent me to a broker, I wrote that broker down. I called the broker myself. See, they're, they're, I think if they're, if they're working their, their business off of a load board, I, I, I can see why they're, they're concerned about getting ripped off. But to me, I don't think they're doing it the right way. You know, you the know? other... The other thing you mentioned, um, oh, I had a thought there and I just drew a blind. I had too many thoughts all at once. Um, I'll come back to it. It'll, it'll pop back into my head here in a second. I don't know what it was. Yeah, um, but like I said, I don't so Yeah, I don't get how they, um, they, they, then they must not be working. The, they're working a load board, it seems like. Oh, I know. And what going I was and going the one you, and done, chasing the. You said one of the services they could provide to their members would be to vet the brokers the way Nastic does. Great idea. Here's what I'll tell you. You better figure out how you're going to get a lot more paying members because that is an expensive proposition. I've been asked many, many oh, times yeah. over the years, why don't you keep list of good carriers for drivers? Why don't you keep list of good carriers for owner operators? Why don't you keep list of brokers that we can work with? I, okay, start paying me about 60 bucks a month each just as a membership fee and maybe I'll be able to go out and do that. That is a tremendous amount of work and it never ends. There, I, I used to try to do this. It's always got to be updated. Because there are times when a carrier has been fantastic for years, and then all of a sudden they're not. 
They get a new CEO. They get bought out by somebody. You, you can never stop doing this work. And if you hold yourself out as somebody who's making these recommendations and then you get a dirt bag in there, you got a big problem. People are going to be pissed at you. Yeah, it's all over that, your name. Yeah, that is a, that is a yep. tough oh, yeah. thing to do. It has taken David and Nastic about two decades to put together a list of less than 200 brokers. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll let someone else get in. Like I said, I didn't mean to yell and all that, but it just got, no, it was, it got I, crazy. I, I, I was yelling too, and at one point, oh, I believe it was when you were yelling. I had to mute everybody which is kind of a nice button to have in Twitter spaces. Uh, once everybody starts yelling over each other, nobody can hear each other. And it, so I just muted everybody. That ended that. We moved on. Actually worked out pretty well. But it, it was uh, was an interesting space. I will, let me see if, um, I haven't heard yet whether or not we've got a recording up on that space yet. I'll try to figure it out and look back. Let's go to Florida this time. Tony, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Good. What's on your mind today? Okay, um, I've got you in the background. I don't know if the listeners can hear that on delay, and that's annoying. If I pause the app while I'm on the phone, or, yeah, yeah, that reverb is annoying, or cancel the app, will I get cut off? No. Oh, wait, I don't know. Hold on. Did you use the app to call in? I did. I have no idea what happens then. You should be able to stop the oh audio, God. though. Don't close the app. Just stop the audio. All right. Let me pause it. That yeah. should work. Yeah, just pause the audio. But I'm pretty, okay. I don't hear anything now. Are you there? Yeah. I'm pretty sure if you try closing the app, that might close out the call. But I'm not positive. Yeah. It, it stopped. I had you on, like, delay plus oh, live. Like, yeah, so, like, two bad. of you. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> So, but yeah, now it's gone. Uh, the broker connect, uh, the, the, the list, uh, David Owens, I tried that once. I'm not going to, um, piss everybody off by saying what happened, but I've tried to call him about that one experience, Detroit, the, the broker he has for that area. Very bad. I don't trust that book at all, but you know, of course, as the so owner of I hate brokers fucking. Uh, I have to say that. Yeah, but, but it's it's kidding, of course. I know. And and but let me say, if we were kidding, one of the things we need to do, all of us, like I just said, keeping a, a list like this is difficult. It's time consuming. It's expensive. Everybody can help, though, by giving true feedback. If you have a problem with one of these brokers, yeah. give that feedback. We need to know that. That's so it, it, it's difficult. Yeah. It could be right. easier well, if we here's all Here's the helped. feedback. Since he walked out of the office while I was on the phone with somebody else there and asked for him and he walked out of the office, uh, I will say that I don't think, excuse me, but this is terrible. I don't think they are vetted. Uh, but anyway... Uh, it's getting close to 12. I, I've got to pull rank on all the people that are saying, what is, what is this guy talking about? I have my authority, so I'm going to just say it. This this association, you want to know my, are you ready for my thoughts? Yes. Now, we're not talking about Nastic now, right? Because we were just talking about Nastic. No, no, no. Okay. No, I'm a member of those. I'm getting ready to use their fuel card. Um, I don't know much about what was talked about, but Okay. On brokers, you know how I feel about that. Yes. So, no, I don't agree that their way of doing it is right, but I hope it works. You know, I do too. 
I mean, the, 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 I don't think these problems. Really? Now, let me ask you. In some ways, I mean, one of the other. Now, the broker transparency. No, I hope they fail at that one. And they they should hope they fail, too, if they really understood this. I don't think they do. But they're also going after trying to come up with better ways to stop double brokering and load theft and that kind of stuff. But their only approach that I can see is the government. And if they won't cooperate with other great, and it's not even that they won't cooperate, they're, they're actively making enemies out of people pretty quickly. They haven't been around that long and they're making some pretty big enemies already. So I, I don't know how they would succeed at any of these missions. I don't know how they're going to get anything done with double brokering. If they, if they keep acting like this, they think they will. So we'll see. I could be wrong. But the transparency issue, let me get your opinion on that one. Do you, do you want to know how much the broker got oh, paid for no. that load? Oh, good. Thank you. Oh, God. No, but hell no. I'm with you on that. So here's where I'm at. This is interesting, actually. When you have your authority, you know, you get to do whatever you want. That's, why, that's what I like. But as far as brokers, really, I have no right to have this, like, funny, fake opinion that they are, they don't have the right to exist. And yeah, I'll say that, but you know, I'm as a broker because because when I started, I didn't know any other way to get freight. There, there I mean, I look at the load any board. Other way. I, seriously, it's it's. I guess I would look at that dial-a-truck board. I guess I expected to see Walmart up there on the screen as where you get your loads oh, from, but instead it, it was right. like PQL. So I have no right. I don't know anything else but brokers. So, but I wish I did. Well, let me tell you another way there. You could go right now. You can go buy a list of virtually every shipper in your area. You can buy that list. Those lists exist. And then you would take that list and those are your potential customers there. It, it will be all the shippers in your area. And you take that list and you start making cold calls and see if they'll give you freight. Actually, you're going to love this. Um, Honestly, I'm seriously considering stopping trucking. I'll probably keep my authority, maybe hire a driver and becoming a pilot. But before you, um, you go all ape about that, <laughs> what I wanted to say about brokers is here, here. Um, okay. It's a purely mathematical concept for me. Um, all right. They don't have the right to exist because I believe it's double work mathematically as a chemist and highly trained in mathematics. I, I don't see how it couldn't be double work having two businesses uh, in charge of freight, one that has zero idea. They're not at the shipper. They don't see all of this going on. I know you have your take, but I don't see how that can be efficient. So let me tell and, you why it's efficient. Uh, it is efficient I, you're, for you're business. You're going to have to prove my side. I don't have to prove my side. You do if you want to to get to the truth. Okay. I'll, I'll prove pretty quickly why it's not efficient. And we know because we used to have this. Model. No, I know you can do that. I said uh, you, you have to prove why I'm right. Give me your assertion again. Which what am I trying to prove that it's not efficient? Th that brokers just it, it's double work. Like it, it's well, not me, an efficient you, process to have a this. third party in let, there. Well, wait a minute, because. Businesses use third parties for lots of things. In fact, that has been the trend for several decades now. The idea in business now, and has been for a long time, stick to your core competency. Do what you do best. 
So for a shipper, shipping is a pain in the ass. It has nothing whatsoever to do with their product. They are focused on building the best mousetrap they can build. That's their core competency. So they should spend all their time and their money figuring out how to build a better product and to keep improving. That's fine. Hold on. Hold on. So then... I hate, I hate interrupting, but my people are killing me. Anything that is not a core competency, subcontract that work out to a totally different company. Don't have a department within your company for it. That's not efficient. Never has been. Companies used to do their own printing. Big companies used to say, oh, we should do our printing in-house. They figured out that's a really bad idea. Subcontract all of your printing out to somebody else. They used to have lawyers in-house. Bad idea, just contract with a third-party law firm. Much easier. Shipping. Shipping has nothing to do with our product. Let's just... Companies used to have huge shipping departments. I used to interact with them. This wasn't that long ago, a couple of decades ago. But you're not proving my case. I know, because your case is wrong. For the people that are listening, the people that are listening that are on my side, that association, we can win... You know, you can win them if you go in and actually try to help, you know, prove our side of why it's right first. Not just go and say all the reason why it's wrong. Because they're going to get, what do you always, actually, I could use your words to prove it because of what you talked about, uh, I think, Friday. You you made the same sort of claim uh, that, that I'm trying to make here. I could use your own word to prove my own case, well, do it. but I'm not going to do it. No, do I, it. You're going to. I, I, no, it's not fair because the f- listeners want to hear you uh, on their side. They, because what's the first thing someone's going to say when you say you're wrong? What do you always say to that? Ask me why. They're not going to, they're going to say, no, ask you're me why. N- they're not going to listen. That's their problem. True. If all they have to do is ask why and oh. I'll explain it. I just started to explain. Or they're just going to not listen and turn it off. They might. But yeah, I, and I listen. for Oh, for all those people that are mad now that you're not on my side, I, I listen. You, you can't stop listening because you might learn something. You don't just you, turn it off. Um, we disagree on, you're going to disagree with somebody on everything, but still it helps to have that information. I, I know agree. I'm right, <laughs> but I, I listen anyway just in case. Let me say I wish something. you would do the same thing. No, no. I, I, let me say something. Um, no, I'm not going to say that. But I, it, you've said worse okay. things that you're going to kick no, my ass for buying a Tesla. This isn't bad. I can just, listen. So when you say I'm not wrong, when you're talking about yourself and you're saying I'm not wrong, I'm right, you might be in your situation. You very well might be right, and I might be wrong for your situation. That's possible. But you got to remember, I'm talking to a lot of people in a lot of different situations. Nothing I say is ever going to apply to everybody. But I can tell you in general that I am right about this, that that this is no, it is good to have that attitude is no different that is than, than having have. all of your printing um, contracted out. Right. No different. These companies used to have that is huge why this association this association needs to have that attitude as well of that they might be wrong and listening and being more open because that is more attractive to, 
to everybody than just going out and attacking people. You know, I hope it works because I do think that brokers are not, they are a drain, but they're not going about it the right way. You do have to consider the uh, opponent's best move. Just like in chess, you'll suck at chess if you don't uh, make the opponent's case for them before they do. I, I agree. Um, here's where we are on this. You know, for years and years and years, people said as soon as technology started showing up, especially the Uber app, when Uber first hit the market and they kind of decimated the taxi industry and changed everything, everybody came out of the woodwork and said, we're going to be the Uber of trucking. We will write the technology that eliminates the broker, just like Uber eliminated the taxi driver and the taxi company. We'll do that. And I've talked about this over and over and over for years. There was a time where I was getting at least one email a week. We are the Uber of trucking. You should talk to us. We're going to eliminate brokers. We have an app that the shippers will use. It never worked. Look at what's happening to these digital brokers now. And they had a gazillion dollars pumped into them. All the money coming out of tech did nothing for this problem. Nothing. We didn't even put a dent in it. Yeah, I use Uber Freight, I think, a couple times that, uh, what's that other one? But yeah, for the most part, I still see. Yes, that that was good. Convoy, but had I an guess awesome you know app. it's not going to work. Convoy had killer technology. Uh, most of their technology, I'm going to say, unfortunately, and people are going to think I'm nuts. Most of their technology benefited the small carrier, which is great. Except that's not where the problem lies. The problem, if you want to eliminate brokers, you can't focus on the carrier. You have to focus on the shipper. It's the shipper that drives this. And nobody has come up with technology that makes it easy for the shipper to work with a lot of small carriers. That's why they use brokers. That's it. That's the whole nutshell. You have got to come up with technology that does all the work that a broker does and nobody has even come close yet. Well, I appreciate them trying that, looking out I for the too. carriers. It's, unfortunately, it did it fail. Did, it didn't work. Uh, but I like what I'm hearing about you talking with David about putting a shipper list or a uh, not a best broker directory, but a best shipper directory, shipper direct with David Owen. I can't wait for that. Uh, that won't happen. It can't. Oh, come on. I it, didn't it, hear that. It can't. So it's, I just talked about how difficult and expensive it is to put a, bro a broker list together. David has got like 200 brokers out of 16,000. Now, there are millions of shippers in this country. You can't possibly put together a list. I don't know how you would even start. Well, I, I sure like the idea of flying that jet airliner. And when you get to the airline, not being asked to move the the jet because you're out of hours and yeah go find a spot imagine doing that for an airplane uh yeah they're, that's pretty good isn't it yeah they're a little more scheduled than that but you mm -hmm. know we could probably take some lessons yeah, well, maybe we should schedule more freight lots of our freight could be scheduled and it, it, we don't seem to do enough of that i'm gonna cut you loose because calls are building up on me but um we could take some lessons from the airline industry and the taxi industry and, and 
Big tech has tried. That was the point. And if they can't figure it out with all that money, I don't think I'm going to figure it out. Let's go to Michigan. Ron, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I, uh, I teach a 18-week course on how to become an owner-operator, how to run a small trucking company. And so I have my students here today. They're kind of trickling back in from lunch right now. But uh, we wanted to call you today and talk to you about how to spec a truck cr- properly. Okay. Let me ask real quick. Is this like a carrier program? No, um, I work for a uh, truck driver training school. This is a, uh, a federally funded program, uh, federally accredited. And uh, so most of the time, and when you talk about truck driving school, it's a four-week program where we just teach you what you need to do to pass the state exam. Right. This is actually an 18-week course where we really get into the, uh, the nuts and bolts of how to become a proficient truck driver. Awesome. I'd love that. We need a yeah. lot more of that. Absolutely. So, and I'll tell you, I'm a longtime listener of yours, and I would love to incorporate uh, some of uh, you into my uh, class. So, if there's any advice that you have uh, for students, I'd love to hear it. I'm not exactly sure how we'll pull this off. I'll leave this up to my team, which is what I usually do. Um, I I want to give you personal access. Now you can't, you can't give everybody else direct access to this, but you can use all the material. I want to give you personal access to all of our courses and then you can just use it. Okay. Absolutely. Love to do that. You can go through what, so remind me at the end of the call, I'll put you back on hold um, and I'll have Morgan get the information. We'll figure out how we're going to do that. Sounds great. Appreciate it. All right. What can I help you with today? We want to spec a truck. Um, are we talking about Correct. just the process in general or do you something much more specific? No. Yeah. Just the process in general. Um, okay. again, we've got, uh, students that haven't been out in the yard yet. Haven't learned how to even operate a truck yet. Got we're uh, in the so, classroom portion. Um, so we're, we're pulling freight off load boards and actually trip planning and running our freight, running excellent. log books on it, excellent. and then tracking our profitability. Um, I'd love it. But in fact, uh, I gave them four if, business models to choose from. I, I'm not so sure how you're tracking the profitability, but one of the other things I'll offer to you, and if we can make it work, that'll be fine. We'll give you an account to run for the school of profit gauges. If you want to use profit gauges to show them how Absolutely. to do this, we'll do that as well. All right. So let's talk sure. in general about specking trucks. Or not it, it, spec is actually to be specific, but we're going to be a little more general than specking right now. The first thing sure. we should understand, and this is my philosophy, it's not everybody's, but it's certainly mine. I think that you spec the truck for the specific job you're going to use it for no matter how specific that is. In fact, the more specialized the operation is, the more specialized the truck should be. And a lot of people take the opposite approach. They actually go out to buy a truck that can do almost everything. It could run heavy haul if they needed to. They could pull flatbed or tanker with it. They could pull a van. Uh, In my opinion, that's always a compromise, always. And people say, but the truck's expensive. And what if I spec it this way? And then I don't like this job. Well, you better do some homework up front, really decide on what you want your business model to be, and then spec for that. Could it change? Of course it could. 
And when it does, we're probably going to sell that truck and go buy another one. Will you lose money in that process? Yes, you would. But you're you're guaranteeing yourself you're going to lose money by putting the wrong truck in the wrong operation. You will lose money from the very first minute you start and you will lose money every minute you do it. So my approach is do your homework up front, have a really good idea what you want your business model to be, what kind of freight you're going to pull, what part of the country you're going to work in, all of those things. And then we go inspect the truck for that job specifically. Does that all make sense so far? Yes, absolutely. Now we start to answer some questions. The first one, what kind of trailer are we going to pull? That's the first question we should answer about our operation. If it's going to be a dry van, that's pretty simple. That's the most common. Uh, lots and lots of ways to spec a truck for pulling a dry van. Uh, if it's going to be a open deck of some sort, well, we need to identify that because if this is going to be an open deck, we don't want a big, tall sleeper or a full fairing. That's not efficient. Sure. Um, now we start answering other questions about our operation. How long are we going to be gone? If I'm only going to be gone a couple of days at a time, I'm going with small sleepers, small trucks. I don't want something big and heavy with lots of storage and lots of room, and I don't need it. I mean, if I'm only gone a couple of days at a time, I'm, I'm taking naps in my truck, and that's just about it. I'm not living out of it. What part of the country are we going to spend most of our time in? What part of our country do we want to spend most of our time in? Um, I would spec a truck differently to run in the northeast part of the country, very differently than a truck I would spec to run in the southwest part of the country. Just different geographies. And and we would spec different because of that. So most people jump right in and focus on the truck when they want to spec. They never really identified the operation all that well. So the first step in specking a truck has nothing to do with the truck. It has everything to do with the operation. The more details you can give me, the better job I can do is specking the truck. How fast are you going to drive? How fast do you want to be able to drive if you need to and still be efficient? Um, all of those things matter. So once you've identified the operation... Now we can start to spec a truck that makes sense. Some of the examples, if it's flatbed, you don't want a big, tall sleeper a fairing. If it's a local or regional, you don't want big, heavy trucks with lots of storage, just not necessary. If you're going to be running light freight in the south where we don't have a lot of big pulls anywhere, um, I might be looking at smaller engines. You know, we talk about the 13 liter like it's small. I, I might be looking at 11 liters in some of these trucks if the operation was light enough. If it's heavy enough, then I might be looking at something a little different. Uh, you know, I've made the, the statement many times in the last several months. I think Volvo now builds the best heavy spec truck on the market. And Volvo is not known for a heavy haul truck, but that's changed. They have a model now and they have a drive line that is better than anything I've ever seen for heavy haul. But how many people know that? So if we were, you know, if and when I say heavy haul, 80,000 pounds every single day on every load is not heavy haul. That's normal weight. So I want to clarify that if I'm talking heavy it has to be over 80,000 pounds. Otherwise, in my book, that's not heavy. That's just normal. Every truck on the road can pull that. 
you know, if we're at 90, not that big of a deal. If we're at 110, we might make a couple changes. When we start getting up to the 130, 140 range, that's when we're going to spec trucks differently. So we need to know that. Um, once we've identified it, and, and you'll find this whole process is in my, my courses, step-by-step step how to do this with checklists and everything. So once you sit down and you create that model of your business and what it's going to look like, then we can spec the truck. Now, I have never been able to come up with a course that would actually teach you how to spec these trucks now. That's a, that's a tough one. There's too many variables. Could I teach somebody how to spec a truck to pull a dry van in the Southwest and they want to go 65 miles an hour? Yes. But then that doesn't apply to a lot of other people. I've never been able to figure out a way. It's kind of like I've been asked many times to figure out a course on how to read oil samples. It's really hard to write a course for that. It would be even more difficult to write a course on specking a truck. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm saying I've sat down and tried to do it, and it's very, very labor intensive. So I've just never been able to, to take all that time and put one together. So at, at the point where you Absolutely. get to like your students who really don't understand the trucking industry and may not have a clue what a Cummins engine is or... Uh, you know, a Detroit or uh, they don't understand diesel trucks or uh, there's no way I can teach yep. them how to spec. I just can't. They don't have the background. Sure. It would be way too hard. I can teach them what they need to know to create their model. And then they have to find somebody who could help them spec. They could certainly always call this show one resource. It's always available. Sure. Um, Joel does a lot of this now. So uh, both Joel and Henry are are helping people with more specs. Um, Volvo has finally been the first OEM where you can just walk in and say, I want an iTorque and you actually get the right spec for a van over the road. I hope we get more of that, but that's about the only version of that we have right now. So I could teach you about specking in the big picture. It's really difficult for me to teach somebody how to spec each truck. Does that all make sense? Yeah, Kevin, I, uh, it does. Uh, the business models that we've created for the class here is basically just drive van for the sake of simplicity. And, uh, you know, they've got a $20,000 truck they can buy and not borrow any money. Excellent. They have an $80,000 truck that they can buy and they can borrow some money. Or they can buy a $215,000 brand new truck. Uh, they've also got a lease purchase uh, available uh, that's got so, pretty uh, cumbersome. Let me say this. Uh, Kudos to whoever developed this program. It is excellent. What a great way of doing this. Well, thank you. That's, that's, it's, uh, it's a really, really well thought out program. Really well. Um, I love this. So cool. now if you want, we could go through and spec trucks like that. Now you, you, now you can give me yeah, a like scenario and say, okay, here's a scenario. Let's spec. And I can do that. And over time, that does help people to start to learn this stuff. Sure. And, and my primary focus really for the class purposes is trying to generate the most fuel efficient truck possible. Um, yes and no. So let's take the, your two okay. extremes, a $20,000 truck um, with no payments and no finance charges, a $215,000 truck with huge payments and huge finance charges. 
that truck is going to have yep. to get significantly better fuel economy to make up that difference. You also have to realize your insurance is going to cost more on a newer truck. Other expenses go up. 100%. So I think your real goal Absolutely. is to help them understand that potentially both of these models can work, but you have to understand when they work. In general, the less experience you have in business, the less you should be spending on equipment. The more experience you have, yes. the more numbers, the more history, the more you might be able to prove, look, it'll make sense to buy this brand new truck at 200,000 as long as I keep it for at least eight years. Those are the kind of scenarios right. you can run. But we would never want to take that much risk on a new business owner. So the $20,000 truck makes more sense there. So part of what you're teaching them is to to make those comparisons. You, you, the way you're doing yep. it, you have this much time with them. You will be able to clearly show them, look, on this lease purchase, you're going to make 36 cents a mile best case. If you go by the twenty six yep. the twenty thousand dollar truck, you could be making ninety two cents a mile. If you go by the two hundred thousand yep. dollar new truck, you might be making fifty one cents a mile. I mean, you will be able to show them how important it is to have a plan and a model. I have a hard time yep. with that Absolutely. here. It takes me a long time to get those ideas across to people. You have a great opportunity there, and I, I love this program. So let's Absolutely. just. Talk about how we would spec a truck for van freight. Um, not only would I want to teach them how to spec the truck, but I would also use this opportunity to teach them how to run a profitable business. And that's what you're doing. So now we could yes. show them, look, I know you want that big, fancy new truck. And I, you think you want a warranty and you think you want to be able to drive 75 <laughs> miles an hour because then you'll get more miles and you'll make more money. I'm here to tell you all of those yep. things are wrong. And let me show you what's yes. right. Um, we can show you why buying a new truck doesn't make sense because a 20-year-old truck would be far more efficient. So we're also going to try to convince them during this time, because this is when we have to spec this, you need to focus on operating a business where you very, very seldom ever exceed 65 miles an hour. There are very few right. reasons. And until you know what those reasons are and you understand them well, you should be focused on building a truck and a business model that 65 is your maximum speed. Now we can spec a truck that will run efficiently from 55 to 65. And that's not that hard. It, it's almost an advance to go, we want to truck, spec a truck from 55 to 75. We can now do that today. It's a little more complicated. And we have to buy newer trucks to be able to do that. I can't do that with an old truck anymore. Or I never could. This ability right. to run in three different top gears is new. And the Volvo and the Freightliner are about the only two trucks we can really do it on. And the Freightliner, it's not really three gears. It's about two and a half, really. The Volvo, we can truly run in three different gears at the top end. But if we're going to go back to old trucks, can't do that. We just don't have that flexibility. So that's where we would start. We would show them how would we spec a brand new truck to pull a drive in and make money, but then we also have to teach them which scenario that would be. That would be an experienced owner operator who really has his business down pretty tight. He's got all his relationships in place. 
He's got all his expenses under control. He's thinking long-term, and he's going to go build a new truck to get 11 miles to the gallon is the goal. That's a scenario we could teach them. But if you're not in that scenario, you don't have that experience, you don't have the money right now, we're going to teach you how to buy a $20,000 truck and get to that place someday. Yep. Great stuff. Absolutely. I love this. I want you to become a regular caller. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. I, I fully plan on it. And, uh, you know, I've kind of tasked my class with uh, coming up with a set of questions to ask you. Love so, that. Uh, as we uh, develop the list, uh, we'll start calling in more regularly and, uh, and hit you up with these questions for sure. Maybe we'll even make a segment out of it. Absolutely. Love it. Okay. Absolutely love it. Perfect. I will look forward to hearing back from you. This is, this is my approach to improving the industry. Catch people early and teach them better. Education. Let's go to Kansas. Bob, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I just, uh, I've heard that Mac talk a few times on the Twitter spaces and stuff. And he has this idea of fairness. You know, everything needs to be fair or ran by, you know, the rule book. And I, I don't understand why this is such a topic, especially for truck drivers. You know, every business has an advantage. That's why you're in business because you figured out an advantage. You, you know, business is not fair. It's, you, you, it's about figuring out where you have an advantage over somebody else and taking advantage of it. And I, I don't get how guys like Mac, can go around and talk about this, uh, what does he say, uh, regulation. He used that word quite a bit. And he talks about regulation. How can you run a business when you're constantly shoving regulations in your customer space? I don't, I don't get that idea, but, I mean, I'm not a great, you know, guy like you or, like, you know, great at business and stuff. But I've built my business by giving customer service. By never letting, you know, I don't tell my customer, I have a problem with this, or I have a problem, I can't do this job. They don't want to hear that from me. They just want to hear me say, okay, I got that. I'll, I'll take care of it. And that's exactly how I have built my business. Not, not from any other, you know, in, anything else, but by taking care of my customer's problem. That's, that's really what my advantage is, my only yes. advantage over other people. And and that's how you have to run a business. I mean, your your business is not fair. It is, you know, you're kind of going to war each day, it, and you it, and you are doing battle against brutal. other people yeah. in in this arena. Yes, and so you cannot worry about what's fair and what's not. And I've heard Mac talk about other things about like, oh now, well, let, it's for the young drivers, it's for these young kids, but the young kids have to learn that. Well, let me, let me clarify what I think you said. everything goes well. So, because okay. I think some people can confuse words. When you say we shouldn't have to worry about what's fair or right, but what you're really talking about is we shouldn't have to worry about a whole bunch of regulations made up by bureaucrats. I, I'm sure you believe in doing things right and ethical. And, and, and you, I know you do because you said the best way to do this is to serve your customer. And you have to be fair and ethical and those kind of things. But when we say fair, I almost hate that word. It's, it's just way too hard to define. It, lots and lots of things in life aren't fair. 
they, they just are. There's a reality we have to face. Is it fair that somebody gets to start in business coming from a rich family and I had to get started in business with no money? Well, well, no, you could say that's not really fair, but that's how the world works. You're never going to change that. So get over it. So I, I think what you're trying to that say is, is you advantage. are not promoting cheating or or anything to get ahead. You're saying you know the right things to get ahead. And those right things are ethical and fair. But it's not it's not fair in some sense. Is it fair that this new owner operator that got into business is young and he hasn't read any books and he doesn't understand business and he takes it gets taken advantage of? A lot of people would say, no, that's not fair. It's why I hate this word. Just stop using the word because it, it just doesn't, it's too hard to define. If, if people aren't breaking laws, then that's what you have to deal with in business. If they break laws, then we have rules and we should be able to prosecute them and all that stuff. But even that isn't going to happen most of the time. We know that most of the regulations in business don't get enforced. Yeah, it's, it's that young driver has to learn which, you know, if he's jumping into and he's going to start calling brokers, he has to learn which brokers work with him. Which brokers don't? I, I keep hearing everybody talking about, oh, we need a list of people that we should call or we shouldn't. No, you should have a list of your own. Each guy who runs his business that way should know, hey, I know that broker. He screwed me over. I'm not calling him again. Or, hey, I know this group of brokers and they take care of me. I'm using them. They, they, there should be no national list of brokers. You learn that on your own. It's a learning process. Just like you were talking to that teacher just a little bit ago about how to spec trucks. This is all a learning process. And sometimes you get burned in that learning process, but those things that burn you are the things that teach you the, are the, are the things that are the hardest lessons to learn. And you won't ever t do that again. But, but to say, Oh, everything has to be perfect and fair for us. To, and I'm not talking about cheating either, but I'm talking about things all have to be even across the board. That is just crazy right. because some of us figure out advantages that propel us to, to a different, you know, to more. And everybody has that opportunity to figure out that, that advantage. Sorry. Correct. And, and what we also have to remember is when capitalism is done correctly, conscious capitalism, not crony capitalism, it really is the best model to live under that anybody has ever come up with. Uh, unfortunately, it always ends up getting corrupted somehow. And it has in our country. We, we don't have a whole lot of capitalism left. We have a lot of crony capitalism. And that happens because of too many regulations and too much government control. That's why I'm so against these groups that want more regulations. But they never want them on themselves. They always want them on other people. I think that Mac is a really smart guy. I've heard him argue with you several times. Oh, and he, he makes some really interesting points. And I, but I really think I, my son is four years old and I really feel like he is making a super intelligent four year old argument. Oh, this is not fair. We need people to come in and regulate us. We, and it's like my daughter and my son are arguing over the remote control. And then I will not, I don't want to get involved. I want them to figure it out between themselves. But sooner or later, I'm going to have to come in there and then I'm going to take the remote completely away from them and they're both going to be pissed. 
<laughs> I don't know. But, no, I no, I I, I get it's, it. It's just and, like the big government coming in and ruining everything that all of us have worked out over the years that that everybody can learn. It's not that hard. It's really simple. Just get in there, and the people who screw you, don't touch them again. And the people who treat you right, give them all you got, and you will have a successful business. That's yeah, you know, it, it, I can make the whole concept of running a business really, really simple, simple to understand. It's incredible how complicated it actually is to execute in the real world. That's the challenge in business. Even if you know all this stuff, it's not easy to execute every day. But those are the businesses that will Oh, you got to be lucky. You got to be so lucky. You got to work hard. You got to play by all these rules. And you got to get lucky. You yeah. got to be lucky. You got to call that person. That is going to help you. That is going to take care of you, you know. But here's the one thing I will say. I have never seen anybody, any business, any company, any association, any group. I've never seen anybody succeed in a bubble on their own. I don't know how you do it. I've never, I I don't understand the concept of we're going to be in your face. We're coming for you. We're telling you what we're going to do. And we don't care if we get along with anybody. That, That was what their vice president told me. And I thanked him for being transparent and honest. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I I have never, ever seen an idea like this even succeed a little bit. I guess we have. It's called the mob. They kind of worked out like that. Oh, you're right. That's a good analogy. But you better be really, really powerful then. And honestly, how did the mob get powerful? They were willing to kill people. Yeah, they broke people's legs. Right, right. So if that's your model... Um, you also have to deal with the consequences. Mobsters usually end up dead or in jail. I don't think that's a great model either. Yeah. But uh, you're right. It's all. kind of the same attitude. And you can't, and, you can't and, tell and, your, don't, you can't tell don't your, the unions your customers, use that hey, model? you're going to be my customer or else. <laughs> right. And, and haven't we seen the unions kind of use that model? Just pure intimidation. Yeah. And they have ruined everything they have touched. Unions are, just, you know, you, you have a perfectly good business and then whatever they touch, they seem to just destroy well, as, we can, as they go along. We're right in the middle of one of the best examples of that right now. Now, lots of people will blame UPS. Yellow's failure. Uh, well, Yellow. The, lots of people will blame Yellow's okay. fail, failure on Yellow management. Some people are going to say, no, it was the union. It's really both. I, it, but the union was clearly part of the biggest bankruptcy in U.S. history right now. By headcount, 30,000 employees. It's the biggest bankruptcy in U.S. history, I believe. And you can't say that the union didn't play a role in that. They did. Yeah, they, they did. Absolutely. Will the government be one of the first creditors that get their money back? I don't know. From I, Yellow? I, I, I would like to know. I just don't know if I have time to go do that kind of homework and research right now. Um, I just have too much of everything going on Because then they give them right a now. huge loan? Oh, $770 million. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. $770 million of our money that is gone now, completely wasted. Yeah, exactly. Now, well, that's all I got for today, here, Kevin. Here's something I wonder. Had a had 
Well, let's say Knight Swift decides that they're struggling and they file for bankruptcy right now, a non-union carrier, and there would be that many people are darn close to it, maybe even a little more. Not sure. Would there be any bailout? I doubt it. Why would they? Not now. No, I don't think so. Why would they? There should have never been any kind of bailout for Yellow. It just never made any sense. They just happened to do it during the time that the government was... Printing money and handing it out. Yeah, yeah. The government was printing money and handing it out, and they got lucky. Um, The rest of us did not get lucky. The rest of us got screwed. All right, Bob, good stuff. Let's let's keep rolling here. Summer, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, Mike, I didn't hear your Friday. I've been missing you more lately, but when we're talking, you're talking today about these associations and brokers and load boards. And I don't know the correct terminology, which is kind of ironic because double brokered loads, the fraudulent loads, where it's not a legitimate a broker. They have a carrier take a load. They rebook right. it. It all goes through. There just happen to be multiple hands. That free market, God bless it. But we're talking about a load posted on the DAT load board. A carrier books it. They pick up the load. They deliver the load. They discover somewhere in the middle was fraud. The receiver doesn't even know who they are, the carrier, right? When you check right. in and yep. whatever. And now you're trying to get paid. Or, and, and let me just even go this bigger route. You're willing to swallow the pill and say, I guess I made an error somewhere as a carrier. And I booked a load I shouldn't have. But when I call what might as well be considered an association, the elephant in the room, DAT. Wait, wait, wait. Stop. At the point That's, of the receiver. Hold, hold on. Let me, let me, because I need to clarify something in my mind. You're... You're calling DAT an association? Well, no, but okay. I'm in a in a essence they kind of are. No, they're not. Dad, you should how not many think members that did, way. Well, that how many doesn't matter. Okay, and, and I, an I'm not here to debate that part, but why well, why well, not? No, I need to clarify this. So I don't want to debate it, but we need yeah. to be correct. An association is a very specific form of setting up a business. And and they have different rules even. DAT is not an association, nothing like an association. Don't use that analogy at all. DAT is a private business okay. that offers a service to customers. That's it. Okay. Fair enough then. When you call DAT and inform them of a fraudulent scenario, even when it's active, you're in the middle of this process, they don't do anything. They pass you to a department that says they can start a file. They act naive as though like, well, we kind of know we have a problem in general, right? Because everybody talks about these problems, but that's kind of where it ends. They don't provide you a protocol, i.e. if you're a virgin carrier in your first fraudulent load scenario and you go, DAT, what would you advise me? Like what, what steps do you, what protocols do you have in place that you think I should do as a carrier that got this load looking at your load board? They have nothing to say. They don't even follow up. When I called the, when I did get a hold of a broker that was posted on my rate confirmation after, you know, an hour of phone calls and finally getting through to somebody there and they say, oh yeah, we found out last Tuesday that we had at least five loads booked with our name and our authority and whatnot on DAT, but it wasn't us. Somebody supposedly hacked into our system. DAT is aware they're supposed to provide the broker with the 
IP addresses, et cetera. But DAT has yet to follow up with them, and this is, you know, five days later. So they're a little frustrated. As a carrier, I'm frustrated but still just trying to figure out what steps to take. DAT, when you inform them, uh, i.e. the third step, check in with the carrier or the receiver, I'm sorry, and the receiver looks up all the information and verifies they also agree. I sh- they don't have my name. They don't have my DOT. They, they don't even know why I'm touching their, it could have, you know, might as well, I could have driven off with their freight. They would have never known who I was. So I called DAT back and informed them that all other parties are saying that they are confirming that this is, there's some foul play. Same response. We can look at a, can start a file and look into it. Still no protocols. I call the FMCSA. Well, I tried calling the CHP out here in California, but I seemingly was getting the wrong people. Voicemails are the wrong people, and it was a little time of the essence. So I called the FMCSA. The FMCSA happened to you know, start their phone call with like a recorded message, one of which is if you're in the middle of a, I'm going to call it a fraudulent load, report it to the local authorities, and please also report it to the U.S. Attorney General's office because they are actively tracking it. I happened to call the U.S. Attorney's General Office. I don't know if it's just a lady that answered the phone or whatnot, but she was knowledgeable enough to know that as soon as I mentioned DAT, she said, yes, they have a massive problem with DAT right now, as well as the other load boards. And they're currently trying to work on some case by case. You know, they're, they're trying to resolve this fraudulent load issue that's taken over our industry specifically in the last six to eight months, according to them. That was their reference of time frame. TAT still oblivious. Thank okay. you for letting me ramble so much. I'm about to go on. DAT is supposed to have a so. Could, do you want me conference, to address web, all webinar? this? Go ahead. Okay. So, yes. Thanks. So Kevin. far, you've spent a lot of time with the government, FMCSA, several organizations. Talked about trying to contact the Highway Patrol. You didn't really get anywhere there. Um, FMCSA got involved. Um, you said something. They have a huge problem with that right now, and all the other load boards. That tells us something. Load boards were never designed to solve this problem. There are some things they could do that would help, but this is new. And I I hear a lot of talk like this is the load board's problem and they have to solve it, but that's not true. And if they are going to solve it, you might expect a raise in your dues. This is going to require a lot of programming, a lot of changes, a lot of new it's, I'm not sure this is really the responsibility of the load board. And as you see right now, you don't get any satisfaction trying to work with them. You get no satisfaction working with the government, no satisfaction working with any load board. So it's not like we can just call DAT a bunch of dirt bags because truck stop doesn't hasn't figured this out and they don't really help. Um, I could look at every single load board in existence. This it, this happens on every load board. Nobody has figured out how to stop it yet. The government's doing nothing. So um, I'll ask you just in case, do do you have a solution? I have a question that I don't know is a solution or a step. I I don't have a solution, but I have two proposals as a step of a solution, I think. Okay. And and one of them might be a rhetorical answer to what started my call with you today, just because I overheard the talking about associations, like, what was it? N-O-O-A, that I guess you got in an argument with on Friday yeah. or something. Yeah. I, and then I, I'm familiar with OIDA, okay, and they're an association. 
Yes. Perhaps the biggest. Oh, I, I called OIDA to ask, what, if anything, have they done as a, I guess, arguably the largest association for like owner operators? What have they done or is there anything they have done to try to intervene or mitigate damages to this overwhelming fraud problem? They, the only answer they had was, I guess, somewhat recently, they, they parted ways with DAT. Like, I think they <laughs> used to have an advertising partnership, some kind of partnership. Right. <laughs> I said, has, has any of your lawyers ever looked at, and I, I don't want this to come across the wrong way. I'm not a litigious sue people to make money thing, but sometimes the, an influential way to progress change in our what? society happens to be through litigation. Who are you going to litigate against? So as a giant association, well, as a giant association, one of my questions, just throwing it, call me an idiot if you want. I don't care. But if I don't throw it out there, I got to say it. If they have this massive association and they have numerous thousands of carriers that have been involved in fraudulent loads in the last six to eight months, particularly, wouldn't any of their attorneys as an association want to take up some form of a class action suit in this case, a class action pressure DAT to at who? least who I would say to start, I would raise it to DAT for no. this one reason. No, this is my no, irritation hold, hold with on. them. Hold, hold on. Can I, can okay. let me explain something because that it may just nullify the whole argument. DAT is a private business. OIDA is a, an association that I can volunteer, I can join, I cannot. These are private companies. I do not know that DAT or OIDA or anybody has broken any law or regulation. Now, you might say that DAT or OIDA should be taking care of this to serve their customers better. You can say that, but you can't sue somebody over that. You can't go sue DAT because they're not providing a service you think they should provide. You can only sue them if they if they've broken some sort of a regulation or law and you suffered from it, you have to have a financial loss that you can prove. So there's two reasons we are not so going to go sue DAT or OIDA over this. It's not, it won't even make it to not court. Not suing OIDA. It was. Well, DAT, you can't sue it, DAT just to over be clear, this. It wasn't unless suing, you can it wasn't, figure out what they've done that was illegal. Otherwise, all you, no, complacency in, is not illegal. Now, come on. There are businesses lack out there of, that lack just of control. They suck. They're awful. They still okay. exist. We can't sue them because they're a complacent business. You just stop using them. Do, if you don't like True, the way... But do now, we, when you say, well, wait a minute, all the load boards are like this. Well, that should probably tell you something. This is not their job. I don't this know that they are, I'm, I, they are. I can only... Like the this. only reason I said... None okay, of the, the load boards have that, done anything to stop the shit. They, and I don't know Got what it. they now, could do yet. This is a complicated issue. Now, let's go. Let me go back to my approach to this. We've been through the government, the FMCSA, this highway patrol. Now we've gone to OIDA. We've gone to DAT. You're not getting any solutions from any of these people. I have a solution. It's really simple. Stop doing business with brokers you don't have a relationship with. That's it. Correct. We we have yeah, so much control over yeah. this, and yet we don't take that control. We sit back and bitch and want everybody else to fix the problem. Just fix I it agree. yourself I in your own operation. It's easy. I, then if you agree I with agree it, that with should that be entirely. the end. 
I, unless you want to go be some okay. advocate to try to get Dat and Oida and everybody else to fix this, knock yourself out. That's kind of what these associations my, my, keep saying. They want everybody else to fix the, ad, the problem. But, and it's not happening. Well, that's where I was just, I was, I was in, in agreement in the sense of some of this ridiculousness of these associations, any and or I will say all of them, not because nobody's taken up any real heavy lifting of doing any productive work to mitigate damages. So where's the downside to my mind? Your answer is the best one. Uh, absolutely. And, no, and, your, your, yours, is, right. yours is the best one. Yours is the best one and probably the only one right now. It's the only one I can uh, see that the, works at all. My, my, and is it foolproof? No. Because, look, even if you build a network no, because, of three to five really good brokers and they give you 95% of your work, I get it. You still got to go to the load board once in a while. Some people, it, it's just you got to go to that, there. And when you do. That's all it was for me was you've the got one some risk. It's right. like less than three. I, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want the 90 W or 90, 10, 99. Now, here's where, here's where is, we could uh, make us a little bit of an improvement here. If we had reviews of now, you can go check credit on brokers. I've seen a lot of people that never bother to go do that. You can check reviews. There are several places, and I see people that don't do that. They they just oh, I need a load. I'm going to hit the load board. I grab it. It's okay, and you can probably get away with that a lot. But if you want to protect yourself and you have to use a random broker once in a while, there is there are things you could do to minimize the risk. So. Can I elaborate just a, a, sure. a couple of things on, on my particular scenario? So my scenario, again, and you never, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, mine's not a big enough loss, right? It was $5,000, load. It was 2,000 plus miles of driving. So you, you know, fuel, wear and tear and time. I, total loss, 10,000, let's say. Okay. Like of, of if I factor all of my whole life expenses into this thing. Right. The receiver is working, so they seem they seem uh, trying to. Uh, we came up with a resolution that was, you know, mutually. <laughs> they know they they were happy to find out what the bad actor was to stop payments on them. They they're willing to to pay me. They they gave me an offer, like an offer and compromise, so to speak, and and I accepted. So that part's moved on. My when I looked at this load and I booked it, everything was seemingly legit but the broker email and phone number that still, I guess I overlooked cause I saw the credit check. I let my guard down. I guess I'm sharing that to say I let my guard down with the credit cause it was a credible carrier and a, they had good credit and they had fairly good reviews. The number was spoofed and it was close to their number, but I wasn't getting anybody. It might even been a number for their carrier. I haven't determined that, but it wasn't one you could ever get a hold of. And then the email apparently was hacked. So this was somebody who hacked, apparently somehow got into the carriers, the brokers, DAT access, and then posted bullshit loads. Is my frustration with DAT, specifically on my scenario, is they never sent out like an email to any, any other customer saying breach, like, you know, with Bank of America, they think you had fraud on your credit card, not even actual fraud on your card, just a store you apparently used it at a Walmart had a breach. And so they send you a new card voluntarily. I didn't get an email notification. I didn't get an acknowledgement. And, and the thing that I don't know on the back end, and again, yeah, 
I'm going to not be the one to carry the torch on this one, is when I asked him, can they not see my history of every carrier I looked at on a Tuesday afternoon? Between, Like if I only looked from one hour on one day on a Tuesday and I clicked on six to eight different loads, maximum, not, not a lot of surfing around. So you can't tell me, you can't just provide me my, my search history. Like you don't, oh, we don't know if we have that. That was where my mind blew up to say, wait, you got to have that history. No, no I, I can see why they don't. I mean, if you understand the resources it would take, there was a time when both of the load boards were doing a million and a half loads a day, a day. I think at one point we might have peaked around two million loads a day. And do you know how many people are in there to create two million loads? How many people have looked at two million loads? How many people have the, the amount of data here is insane even if they collected it. it, it exists somewhere. The one thing computers are really good at is keeping track of everything. But the the resources it would take to monitor all, they would have to create a whole new department and staff it to just to do what you just asked for. There's Their system could not do that right now. They would have to create a whole new department they, that was they, dedicated to this. And if they do, you can expect your $15 a month program to go to $40 a month. Yeah. No, I pay for the, I, you're probably sitting down. I pay for like the, it's like 300 a month. I, I know some owner operator. I, I've recommended that program. Most people don't do that, but I actually recommend I just, that. So you wouldn't, it's I'm cheap. not going to fall over. It, yeah. I do it's, think it's, it's cheap. cheap. Yeah, I agree. No, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's cheap. And See, I come from real estate background. I'm a California broker so, and a appraiser. It's cheap money. Absolutely. So my you, biggest association, when you ask about associations doing good, it's I have to, my benefit. I laugh at my appraisal industry, California Association of Realtors, and then they're joined with National Association of Realtors. They produce more, as you were saying at the beginning, for associations, education. Yes. Data, That's what research, like your freight waves analogy. Right. It's tremendous. The value I get out of that's mind boggling. Heck, I tell newbies, like, join it as soon as you can. Join it. You're going to get more out of that than anything. Hey, Kevin, I'll let other people call in. Your show's phenomenal. It's, I, I don't know, I think I'm a little couple years younger than you. I got my first truck in 1995. Uh, right out of college, because you know, you I thought I was going to be a trucking company owner, <laughs> is uh, and and I, and and I was blessed and cursed to have parents that were like, as long as you go to college, you do whatever you want to do. I like that. Good. And uh, you know, sometimes I wish I had the parents that were a little a little more of a. My parents were jerks, didn't pay for my college, and they don't <laughs> love me in this <laughs> because then I maybe wouldn't have, wouldn't have gone into this business. But yeah. from the time I was a kid, I'm a Tonka truck truck driving honky, and I've listened to you since the you know the satellite radio came out, and you were the uh, Federal Express yeah. fuel mileage. You are fabulous. Your show's fabulous. Your callers, your people, arguments, not arguments. Um, this new podcast thing is great. I was worried when you did this Twitter, Twitter sphere X space thing, I wasn't going to be able to listen to all that. And um, like I said, these last couple of months, I've been more sporadic on when I catch you. Uh, but I click on your app and I listen. You had me laughing my ass off. Not last Friday. I missed that one. I guess you got in a debate. Yeah. The one before that. Oh, yeah. Fr oh, my God. <laughs> you guys were all over the place. Maybe it was a third. It might have been a Thursday, but I think it was a Friday. I think it was. You Friday. guys 
cracking me up. It was old school. It was like what we used to have on the CB radio at two and three in the morning when you're just going across forever and had funny people chatting and, oh, dude. Yeah, that. Thanks that, for everything. And then your health and fitness shit. Keep it up. You're the best association we got if people are just willing. And then we got still we can tune into the radio the, and get the freight waves and that the, stuff. But the ironic thing is I, I, I tried to form an association for owner operators and failed at it. You got Let's Truck. You got kept. I know. You know, people if people don't hate you, you're not doing good in life because haters hate. Yep. And those of us that enjoy you, my my girlfriend has no knowledge of trucking whatsoever. Ironically, her brother joined Safeway. Like, he got in and went Safeway for, he's probably like 10 years with them now. But that's like local. She doesn't really yeah. follow him. She listens to you going to L.A. We move, We have a place in the Central Valley in Studio City because my whole life was 20 years in L.A. area doing real estate and whatnot, and I still do. Yeah. But she still has to go down for work, like, you know, a couple times a week to do photo shoot stuff, whatever. She listens to the Road Dog, or, you know, now your app, in the mornings, because it's like one of the kick-ass news networks that you have. <laughs> I, Just like keeping I, like light, right? Because you talk, you talk a little life, little politics, little this. Hey, I said I was going to hang up and let other people chat. That was it. Uh, well, thank you for that. Because I, I, I always, it's always a little intriguing to me that people not in trucking enjoy the show because it's so trucking specific. But I actually oh, get that quite a bit. It's great. Yeah, it's I, great because it's real talk. Even even the gentleman that called, like what I, I think I was a third caller in line when I called. Uh, I, I missed uh, something. I had to take a phone call, and then I, I picked up, and there was a gentleman kind of debating you and saying like how I can I can I can prove you're wrong or that I'm right by using it was your probably words. Probably Tony. Yeah. Kind of okay, and then a little a little political twist. I call it is where, but I'm not gonna. And God bless him. Okay, I can't argue with somebody that doesn't want to debate. But even your disagreements, you know what's cra- like when people get pissed, uh, you give you give them me everybody a chance, and you debate. And and uh, I don't want to like call you the old guy, but it's like it's like a, a fatherly yeah. to the to the kid. It's a it's just a, it's like a anybody who's taken college and had a kick ass professor. Those are the classes that kicked ass the most. They're interesting. They're educational. You all you don't learn if you don't challenge. That's why I'm like, hey, I'm going to say some stuff that might come out stupid. Yeah, but if absolutely. I don't say it, I can't get yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know, I'm going to cut you loose because I do have to get to a couple more calls. I'm not sure how I became the old guy either. I'm I don't feel like the old guy, but I guess I am now. Let's uh, let's go to New York. Harold, welcome to the program. You're not as old as me. Twelve years younger, I think. I know, but I'm, I'm really <laughs> anyway. starting to think I qualify as the old guy now. <laughs> I know, I know that feeling. You, you don't feel old, but suddenly you are. I know. Yeah. I, I, I got. I made some notes here that are all over the board today. But your deal on Friday reminded me of Hannity and Combs. <laughs> You're never going to agree on anything with those guys on Twitter. Never. Never. I, I just, but, I, well, I, I think we could somehow agree to the problems, but we can't even agree to the severity of the problem. They're talking about brokers like they're going to crash our economy somehow. And I just don't think that these problems, they do exist. You know, true illegal double brokering does exist. I know that. And it's getting worse. I know that. The broker transparency to me is not an issue at all for two reasons. There's already a law. 
There's already a law. If you absolutely want to see that, ask for it. If they fail to give it to you, turn them in, do whatever. There's a law already. Deal with it. I think you're insane to want transparency around rates. That's my opinion. So that to me is a total non-issue. The idea of broker transparency to me is a total non-issue. The idea of coming up with ways to stop the true illegal double brokering, yeah, somebody should work on that. Do I care much about it? Not really, because the solution I have is pretty simple. Don't put yourself in that kind of risk. That's correct. One thing I haven't heard is anyone mentioning the broker's bond. And that is would be the first place to go. But if it's a fraudulent posting, then that would be well, a moot point, I guess. Well, it's a moot point there. And it really is kind of a moot point if these companies file bankruptcy. Or towards the end, That's they true. just stop paying enough carriers. It only takes, what, 10 to 15 carriers and that bond is gone. So I, I'm aware of that. Yes. This group does want a higher bond. My my whole idea is I'm not sure what the bond does anyway. Nobody else gets the benefit of having a bond. I don't I don't get to file against a bond if somebody doesn't pay me. If I extend credit to my customers and they don't pay me, I don't have a bond to go file against. I either have to pay a collections company to go after them or I have to write it off as a loss. Every business has to deal with that. So when they say we need a higher bond, hell, you should just be happy there is a bond. This morning, I went on Central Dispatch to look for a car, the auto transport deal, and they had a, a warning on there to beware of fraudulent activity. Yeah, on their web, on their uh, their load board. <laughs> right. Now, so that's they're basically about putting the responsibility onto you. Well. Exactly. That's all. That's all they can do. I'm not sure whose responsibility this should be. And I mean that I don't understand. And I understand these systems inside and out, but I I can't really clearly see whose responsibility is or who has the most power to fix it. We'll 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 get to that, I guess. We keep talking about it. Like I said, it's not an issue I spend much time on because I see an easy solution to it. But if we're trying to fix it industry-wide, I don't know who should fix this. Here's one thing we all have to keep in mind. This is no different than they want a whole bunch of new gun laws. Why do you want new gun laws? Every situation you point at, oh, we need it because of Sandy Hook. Oh, we need it because of the... Wait a minute. The person who did that broke 15 laws already to do it. Why do you think writing the 16th law is going to matter? People break laws. Exactly. That they do. And it's it's yep. virtually and the- impossible to stop them from breaking the law. The best we can do is punish them afterwards. That is correct. Criminals will never follow the laws never. anyway. Right. That's what I don't understand about. We need more rules. We need more regulations. We need more laws. Well, why? That's insanity. You wrote five laws, nothing changed. In fact, one of the laws you wrote actually made things worse because that happens sometimes. And now you want to write a sixth. When does this become insanity? It never stops. Yeah. Yeah. So change subjects a little little bit here. The real answer here, and it's not perfect. It's not always going to protect you. But can't we see with all these examples we keep giving over and over that the best way to solve your problems is yourself? 
100% correct. That is it. Yeah. It, it's the only way I see that actually can be effective. I stumbled onto Jim Rohn the other day, which was Anthony Robbins' mentor. Yes. And he deals with that. I had never heard of him. I'd heard Anthony mention him a couple times back when I listened to him in, in 1990, and he changed my life, or 89, I think it was. But Jim Rohn, is, he gets really into that personal responsibility Yes. that I was I was just um, amazed by him. I listened to two complete seminars on this trip that probably cost people $1,000 a piece. And I was, at, at this age, at 73, I, I got so excited again about writing things down and making new goals. And yeah. I know I'm a little my, bit past that point, but I can't stop. It just it gets me excited. Is, my guess is that's Jim Rohn's material from the 1970s. It, he was, I listened to one from 1992 okay. that he did in Houston, in uh, Dallas. And the then there was another one from two, career, pretty much. Two, yeah. two, 2002, he did one in Irvine. Did That's really? the first one I listened to. Okay. Yes. I yeah. think he made it until a couple years after that, but both of them were just so good. And I see where Anthony got, I mean, Anthony took everything to another level. And yes. I got to say, there's been about three people that have affected my life. One was Joe Carbo, a book that he wrote, Lazy Man's Way to Riches, which took all of Jim Rohn's and Anthony Robbins stuff and put it in a book and made me analyze my life. But so he affected me. Anthony Robbins has affected me. And you have affected my life incredibly. And I just well, appreciate it. And I never a, talked to the other ones, but that's a hell of a group to be lumped in there with. But, well, you're, you're right there. I mean, you've said before, uh, you know, I didn't know this for years that Anthony Robbins had that affected your life the way oh, it did, but huge, but huge. because I, of that, you are, you're helping so many of us out here because of that motivation that you got from him. And, and, and you had it in your heart already. He just, he just unlocked, the drawer for you, I right. think, like well, you did he, with me. And, and he also handed me a, a giant snap-on box full of tools. I mean, really, that's, that's yes. what I learned you, from I, people like that. You learn most, tools. You learn better ways of doing oh, things. Many people that go to those things don't ever open the toolbox there, or they open it and look at it, and they're scared to use them. But the, the, key, the whole key that you've done, you've used that toolbox and in, in ways that when you first started, started talking about health, I thought, nah, I'm pretty healthy. I don't need to listen to that. But the more I listened to you over and over and over again, I thought, well, what could it hurt to stop the grains? And, and I feel better now than I, than I ever did in my life. It's incredible, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> the, repet, the repetition of you talking about that, and you, you, you're like a parent. You, you keep telling your kids don't do this or do this. And finally, when they listen, it's like, ah, <laughs> and I just, uh, I'm so grateful for all the knowledge that you have shared with us. And the teacher that called earlier with the truck school, that is an amazing I love thing that. for you. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So did I, if I, if I would have called you when I started, I, I bought a truck because I loved trucks and I loved to drive in 1975. And here I am, 48 years and uh, eight months later, 
still out here doing it, but I've made every mistake. You would have kicked my butt <laughs> if I would have called you back then when you were six, probably, or yeah. five. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I, the only way I know this stuff is because I made all those mistakes. Yeah, so have I. I'm, I'm just... I'm glad to be here now, and I, I, it's nice to learn from the mistakes, but a lot of times I sh- probably should have gone out of business or gone bankrupt, but like you, I couldn't do it because I got myself in that mess, and I had to work myself out of it. There you go. Personal responsibility. I mean, isn't that the phrase we're talking about in all of this? Personal responsibility. Exactly. And- and you're right. Jim Rohn was huge on that. Anthony Robbins was trained under him. That's big on him. You know who else is, became a friend of mine, and that is his number one thing? Larry Wingett. That's all he really talks about. He has, there's almost nothing else. That, that Everything he talks about really just comes down to personal responsibility. And he gets really in your face about it. You know, your kids are your own damn fault. You're broke because you want to be. I mean, just listen to his titles. He's telling you, if, if you've got a problem, stop looking around and look in the mirror. That's the only place that problem exists. That's exactly right. And I have failed in not listening to him. I've heard you mention him for the last 10 years or so. I need to go listen to him as well. He's, he's a, it's a different approach to the same kind of stuff. I mean, he doesn't get nearly as technical. He's not going to teach you a ton of tools the way Jim Rohn or Anthony Robbins. He's really kind of really, really basic. Like, take responsibility and you'll start to figure this stuff out. I mean, he he really spends more time pointing out how absurd people behave. Um, The one thing I I love that he says is... he has a show. You can probably find these episodes on YouTube. It used to be a, a network show, a broadcast show. I think it was on A and E. It was on one of the bigger networks. Okay. It was called Big Spender, and he would go in. Usually, a young couple, but sometimes they were older couples too. And he would be there to fix their personal finances. That was the whole point of the show. And he would sit down and he would interview them and and ask them what was important to them. And they would give him this whole list of all the stuff that was important to them. And before he did the interview, he did a walkthrough of their house alone. So he looks through their house. He looks through their closets. He looks through their bank records their credit card statements, and then he does the interview and he asks them what things are important to you. And they give him this big, long list. And then he'll look at him and say, you are so full of shit. Those things aren't important to you at all. Let me tell you what's important to you. Shoes. Shoes are important to you. You had 42 pair of them in your closet and 37 of them haven't even been opened yet. Clothes are important to you. I found tons of clothes in your closet with tags still on them. Cars are important to you. You make $60,000 a year and you have two $50,000 vehicles. Let me tell you what's important. And he goes through this whole thing and just rips them apart. It's a really good show. Yep. But that's that's how basic it gets. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. It's it's just really down to the nitty gritty of what the decisions people make every day and what they say is important is never really what's important. When you, if you want to know what's important to somebody, find out what they spend money on. Yep. That tells the whole story. One quick thing on brokers. When I first started, I stumbled into some produce brokers in 1975. And without those guys, I would not be here today. 
I, I was dealing with directly with the produce broker instead of the truck broker at that time. And they led me from one produce broker to another as the season changed. And uh, they saved me in this business. Otherwise, I would have failed miserably. You know, the, the interesting uh, thing in the, is most of the... So in 1975, there weren't many truck brokers at all. Almost all brokers back then were probably produce or some kind of property broker. There really weren't a lot of true t- transportation brokers until after deregulation in 1980. C.H. Robinson. C.H. Robinson was around a, then. They were around. But C.H. Robinson was a, pro, a produce broker. That's how they got started. That's what I'm saying. There oh, okay. Few, I, and the I did that, a few loads for them. The but. few that existed back then really started as produce brokers, not truck brokers. C.H. Robinson's been around like 100 years now, I think. Really, really long time. But mm-hmm. they started as a produce broker. Okay, I hauled other things for them, not produce, but... Oh, no, I, I they, don't, they definitely I became don't know what, a, they had, what we call a property broker at some point, but they clearly started as a pure produce broker is all they were. Now, produce brokers worked with trucking companies because that's what the broker did. The broker got the produce sold and moved, but that, that was really the start of what we refer to now as freight brokers or property brokers. Um, it, they were produce mostly right in this business the car carrier business we started using brokers a lot and now i'm we had nine trucks at one point and now it's just me but most of our 250 customers that i service every year are our own and they're our direct customer after after doing this almost 20 years and so it's nice to have occasionally i have to go well, it's not a list. These people just find us. We do a lot of military, and but 40% of our businesses repeat now. And it's amazing to me at this point in life that I'm able to do this. I mean, I'll Good. resort to a broker car every once in a while, but at some point I'd like for you to look at my numbers. I don't know what the process is on that. How do you collect um, your numbers? But I, Well, I've, I've been doing your program forever oh it's easy uh when we had the nine trucks yeah here's how easy it is the next time you call when angie or morgan or chelsea or whoever might be screening that day sometimes lisa screens once in a while whoever screens that day you just tell them i i've can you pull up my business report from profit gauges they'll pull it up they'll send it to me and we can just go over it that's how easy it is i i would be curious i mean i've got huge truck payments now but the numbers, uh, I mean, when I, when I first started doing it, we had multiple trucks and I had a pretty good idea of which guys were doing it, but I yeah. just did individual programs every, I did it once a year and I just sit down in December and I would take between Christmas and New Year's, it would take me like two or three days to do all the trucks. But that way I had an exact picture of what everyone was doing. Right. So as the, the guys left. I, I thought, okay, good. That guy's gone. I wasn't making any money anyway. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it was such a nice feeling to have a clear picture of what each truck was doing. And I, I mean, I, I just thank you so much for that. It's uh, that's an amazing program. I love it. I've been doing it since, I don't know, 10 years, maybe yeah. something like that. It's been around that long. So thank whenever you, you started. Yep. Yeah. I appreciate it's, it. It's a great one. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. We're going to, Move along and knock out some more calls here. Let's go to Texas. Mark, welcome. 
Hey, Kevin. Uh, thank God I don't hear myself because when I called in to Morgan, I was hearing myself. So whatever he got fixed. Oh, uh, good. So what I'm calling about is I finished dropping off some cars and I was listening to this the person get on there and complaining about the load board and it's their responsibility. And it's like, and then Harold calls in and he's mentioned in central dispatch. Well, I logged into central dispatch and there's a, it's how to avoid fraud. It's got a link you can click on there. And it says, number one, check the transactional ratings of the company and ratings to know how the carry performed on prior jobs. Review documents uploaded by the carrier to their central dispatch page profile. Number three, request that the carrier send a copy of their a current copy of the carrier's insurance, certificate of insurance, and be added as certificate holder, and then go to the safer system. Well, I don't, I've, I have central dispatch, like I told you the other day. I don't use it except when I'm like, like today, because there's no rail cars that want. There's nothing in town right now, so it's like I might just have to take a day or two off. But when you quali- qualify your customer, the the broker, look for anything suspicious. If they have a Gmail address, uh, if they have a Google phone number, uh, if they can barely speak English, if they want to do nothing but text, it's like those are red flags. I mean – could they be good? They could be good. And I'm sure after the 200 ratings that I had prior to changing my business around off central dispatch, I'm sure I've dealt with, dealt with people that were shady characters, especially in the salvage hauling that is pretty much controlled by the Russians. But ask the, all these load boards are the same. They're just, they're just hosting us. They're just providing a service to list loads on that they allow you to contact make a connection with a a customer uh, to do business. And it's not, they're not going to, they, they're not going to fix whatever it is. You have to qualify these customers. Uh, They allow people on central dispatch. I could go on right now and post a load and broker it out. Even though I'm not a broker, because they don't police that. Let me make a comment about this. So they do provide some tools. And like I said, I'm not sure that this is their responsibility at all. It might be, they might be the ones that can solve it. We all have to be prepared that a a solution could cost money too. And a lot of times people aren't willing to realize that, hey, there's a solution here. It requires somebody to work, a lot of work. That means somebody's going to have to pay them. Money might need to be involved to solve this. And if you think going to the government solves it without money, don't be an idiot. Now it's our money that they're going to use, and we don't get to say how they use it. If I solve the problem myself and I can use some of my own money, but the tools that are available, that all the two big load boards have made available, all the rate data that they have, all of the financial data, you can go look at their credit, you can look at reviews. All of those tools exist. They created those tools. It's a lot of work and a lot of money to create those things. Guess what almost none of these people that are complaining about do? They don't take advantage of any of those tools. And yet they'll come back and say, we want the load board to fix it. They tried, you don't use their tools. And they know you don't because they have all that history. I've seen it all. They don't use the tools that are already there. It's no different than what makes me insane 
is that the minute I hear an owner operator say, I need to know what the broker made on this load. And I ask them, let's talk about your cost per mile. And they go silent. They don't even know their own yeah. numbers and they want to force somebody else to reveal theirs. That makes me insane. There's 10 things you could have done yourself to fix this. And all you want to do is sit back and complain that everybody else should fix it. Well, it's, it's, it goes back to the fact that they're not running their business. They, uh, to run your business, you have to be able to, like I told you the other day when I called in, qualify the person or business company you're doing business with. What is their history? Are they a reputable company? If it's somebody you've never heard of, I mean, I looked up something yesterday on Central Dispatch. It ended up being a Tesla load out of Austin going back east, and it was for a ridiculously low price. And I looked at the company. I'm like, I've never seen this company before. I started researching this company. They have an office on Wilshire Boulevard out in the Los Angeles area. Uh, they've been apparently been around. The owner is a name I can't pronounce, and I'm thinking at the rate that they have, I'm like, First of all, I'm wondering, how did they even get this load? Because it's not somebody that I know that pulls for Tesla over in Austin. So it's like, I, I just disqualified them right there. It's somebody I don't want to do business with right there. That it, it took less than five minutes to figure this out. Right. I, I'm not going to blast their name, but it's like somebody that I will not do business with because I don't. Number one is they don't look like somebody I want to trust. Am I being judgmental? Damn right I am. Because if I'm not being judgmental, then... I'm I'm allowing myself to be open to uh, uh, be taken advantage of. And another thing this other gentleman was talking about, the hacking and whatnot. So you've got to have your own IT security. Do not click the various emails. People spoof emails all the time from different places. Do not click those emails. They're trying to get into whatever it is. They do it for the load boards. They do it for central dispatch. I know for a fact they do. They're out there stealing cars. People get their accounts hacked all the time because they get an email and they look at, oh, it's central dispatch. They're texting me about this. No, they don't. Hey, and they you, allow somebody, they click on this, and somebody gets their information, they log in and pretend you know, to be somebody, and their account gets hacked. You know what else gets hacked all the time? I can't even count how many times I've had to deal with this. My credit cards get hacked constantly. Our business accounts yes. get hacked constantly. Yes. And you can say, well, the credit card company's yes. taking all the responsibility off you and you don't have to pay anything. That's correct. I appreciate that. But if you don't think this is a major disruption and a pain in the ass in business, we have sometimes 30 things that are on subscriptions on those cards because that's efficient. I don't yes. need somebody to be writing 30 checks a month when I can just put it on a reoccurring charge on the credit card. Done. That's work I don't have to do now. But every time they hack my card, I got to go through all 30 of those accounts and do it again. And I've had, I've had a card hacked and twice Kevin, in the same month. And, and Kevin, if you think it's just a driver out there clicking on an email that has a small business that causes problems, I have a friend who's worked for the Federal Reserve in IT security. She works for other companies now. They bounce around more than truck drivers and IT security and cybersecurity. But she'll tell you, it's the higher-ups. It's the officers. They get an email, and they get fooled more than the frontline workers. They'll, they'll, they, they will it, – it's everybody. They just – people do not have any idea of personal online security when it comes to, should I click this, clicking a nefarious link. So if, if you get – 
fraud out there. You have you have to be at this day and age. Everything's been hacked. Everybody's information's out there. They what was it? Uh, which one of the credit bureaus that uh, the one in Allen, Texas, uh, uh, not Experian, but the other one? They they all one of them got hacked. All the information's out there. Louisiana got hacked recently. All their driver's license information's out there. So you have to be very, very suspicious of who you do business with until you build that relationship. And I believe that there are too many gullible people in the transportation industry on the trucking level uh, that do not take serious. They see a load. Oh, I got a load. They don't take into account that, well, I get paid for this load. That's the number one thing you should worry about. Let me give you another example. Am I going to get paid? While you're talking about this, I just happened to read a random post on social media. Listen to this. This is, I'm quoting, Seattle to Denver load today where we are losing over $300 because the market has changed so much on this contracted lane. That's a negative 15% margin. Broker transparency, but no one cares because it doesn't fit the narrative that brokers are scum. Can you believe I, yeah. I, I, that? I mean, I, brokers aren't scum. Let, let's just, they're human beings. They're just like the rest of us. These people are not crooks. They're not criminals. There are criminals and crooks that work in trucking. And yes, they use brokers. They might be brokers. They might also be owner operators. They might be carriers. They might be dispatchers. They, they, they're people. We're all human beings. I'll go back to my statement. It's not very scientific, but in my world, Way over 90% of the people I deal with are completely ethical and honest. Where are all these crooks everybody's talking about? Well, here's the deal. These people that you had on the Twitter space that came in there, they're angry. They're angry at everything. And they're projecting that anger out at the brokers and, and at the industry because they're not focusing on their own personal business. They're worried about everybody else. Well, he's getting screwed over. You know what? That's his problem for getting screwed over. You can try to talk to him about it, but if they won't listen, you should worry about your own business and worry about your own doorstep. Worry about what you make, not what the other people make. I mean, I compare with people, different rates and all like that, but it's like, I worry about what I do. I'm worried about competing with myself. Did I do as good as last week? I told this friend of mine that works in cybersecurity, I said, you know, I need to start taking a little more time instead of just worrying about every time I, I, I just take a load, take a load when I get back and turn these loads because I'm so worried that it won't be there because I've been used to that. But now it seems to be into a pattern where it is there and I need to get into a, a pattern with less stress and stop worrying about the fact it's not going to be there because it is there. But these people get on there and they're like, well, we're going to fix everything. You know what? Fix your own doorstep first. Fix your own little business first. Worry about that. And if you get that fixed, then maybe you won't have all this anger at the whole rest of the world. <laughs> I, I can That's almost, my two cents on it, but I, I, I don't can, know. I can almost guarantee your last statement was absolutely correct. Start fixing your own problems, and pretty soon you'll look around and go, what problems? Yeah, that's that's what I did. I mean, Kevin, when I started this business, it's like I had over two. I was thinking I had over 200 ratings on Central Dispatch. And I started listening to you, and you're like, you should have just a handful of people you work with. I'm like... Jesus Christ, I've got 200 ratings. I've got, I've got, I get more 10, 1099s you can shake a stick with because I had those ladies booking my loads for right. me and they're just booking this, flying by the seat of their pants. And I knew that. I'm like, 
we were flying by the seat of the pants. It's like we're crop dusting and we don't have control of the crop duster. And it's like, <laughs> this is out of control. And this really bothers me. And that caused me stress. And it's like, and, and finally, when I called you that day and I said, I'm paying this. And you're like, you're getting screwed over. And I knew I was, I just needed to hear it. And I made the change to get rid of them and start running it myself. And it's made all the difference in the world because I controlled who I deal with and I built these relationships between me and the people I work with and their assets, asset based carriers. They have extra freight. They're happy to do business with me. I do them a good job. I communicate with them about different things. I don't care if I get tracked because people say, Oh, they're tracking me on this load. So what? I mean, I delivered a Hyundai in Slidell, Louisiana the other day and I, I ran out of hours at 10 o'clock at night, and the, I went to the dealership, and he goes, you've been sitting down there for 10 hours at the, at, the, at the TA. I said, yeah, I got there 10 hours ago. I'm doing a break. He goes, yeah, we were looking. At, I said, I said, XYZ give you this? It's like an auto manufacturer. Yeah. Uh, did they give you? Yeah, it went through them because it went through the software of the carrier into their into the other auto manufacturers. The auto manufacturers demand that their loads be tracked. They push that out as a service. You know what? They pay me enough money that I don't really care. You know what? Right. It's like you want to track me, track me. I'm more efficient than most of the people out here because I do. I I make that as a commitment to myself. Let me make two analogies of how ironic many of these arguments are from people. Two two topics I just thought of uh, while you're saying that. Don't human beings and especially Americans love 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 low prices? How did Walmart get so big? People love cheap stuff, don't Walmart they? Walmart caused all of that. Right. People love cheap stuff. Yes. They just do. And yet they don't want their stuff to be cheap, but they want cheap stuff. They don't want to have to cut costs right. to be successful in business. Why should I have to cut costs? I should get enough revenue. No, that's not how business works. You have to cut costs. And pe- companies that have gotten really, really good at cutting costs like Walmart get big because human beings and especially Americans love really cheap stuff. It, it's no different. It's it, you, I don't. I've never understood why you you think this is such a great thing on one hand, but you're not willing to do that. You're not willing to cut your cost. Well, from what I made last year and cutting that eight percent, I was paying those women out of there. I saved a ton of money. Yeah, and I got more control over what I'm doing. And it's like I don't have to sit there and have these arguments about how are we, you know, trying to explain to them. I'm worried about where I make all miles. I'm worried about building relationships that went directly over their head. It's like, yeah, you know, and they would get mad at me for discussing these things. Many of the people who started these so dispatch services out. don't understand trucking. They think that all they have to do no, is, is they, get you a load. Well, hell no. Yeah. You were paying them to mess up your operation. Yeah, I had, I would, I, when I started out, I had a five car trailer I would sometimes have five different customers on a trailer and you multiply that times five times a week. Oh yeah. My accounts receivable was oh, like huge What a mess. and it wasn't big numbers, but it was like huge and they kept up with it. I guess that's how they figured that they could charge 8%, but it's like, you know, you'd have to go through it with them. Well, I got this check, this check, this check, that check. It's like you go to the mailbox, you have a stack of checks. Now, Everything's direct deposited with this one customer I have every week. Another one sends me an e-check twice a month. Uh, and other ones are ACHs. It's like 
I don't have to go to the bank anymore, hardly at all. Isn't that nice? And, and it's extremely nice. I mean, it was kind of cool to get a stack, of, a stack of checks. You go to the bank. It's like I got to where I'd carry a gun to the ATM because I'd go there late at night. And here I am feeding checks into the ATM, maybe 10 checks. And, and you know, sometimes it would reject a check, and you'd have to go into the bank. And it's like, I, I mean, I did so much wrong to begin with that now it's like, I still have things I need to work on, but, you know, it's like these people out there that were on that call on Twitter, they have so much anger over things that if they would just take personal responsibility and fix their own little world and stop worrying about what happens to the other person and worrying about everybody else. You know, my mama used to say, clean your own doorstep first. Worry about that. My dad said the same thing and they were right. You, you can't worry about everybody else, and that's what it seems like they do. They just worry about everything else that they – and another thing is, like, people worry about things they can't control. You said this back in COVID, and I went by it. Worry about the things you can't control and don't worry about the things you can't control. And people do that. People worry about all this politics they can't control. They, they worry about the – the things in, 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 the, in the trucking industry that they can't control. If you just try to exist within your own little world, keep your truck and maintenance up. Don't allow it to go to shit. You know, <laughs> qualify your customers and, and you know, work your own little world. And then it's amazing how better it gets. Yes, I agree. So that's my, own two, that's, that's my two cents right there. And it's like, I'm not trying to be arrogant or whatever about it, but it's like, it does work. Yep. And think like an owner. Don't think like a driver. Yep. All those guys that, that get on there, they start thinking like a driver. And it's like, you're not an employee. You own a company. You're your own employee, but you've got to think about that. How is this going to survive? And how are you going to keep your, how are you going to keep more of your money and pay out less? And you, how are you going to streamline things? You want to know another reason why I don't think the government is a great place to go for solutions? I mean, I think the first reason is big enough. They almost never solve anything. Let's say they do once in a while. You know the other problem with government? It changes every two years. And we've seen this. Yeah. You, you get a regulation or a law written, and two years later, you get a new group in, and they change it again. I can't tell you how many times the, they just changed the Section 179 deduction has been changed in the 30-some years I've been doing tax returns. I bet it's changed 15 times. And, I, and, in and business, people, you can't, you can't work them. like that. You can't constantly be trying to adjust to these changes. But when you involve the government, the risk of this kind of stuff goes way, way up. The, you know, Trump gets in office and I think people know how I feel about him, created some really good tax laws that made it really good for small business. But the best he could do was get them temporary. We didn't even have to wait for a new administration. The current administration already put limits on those laws. Why should we put limits on them? They make sense. Why are they going to sunset? If this is have a better way, why are we already writing a sunset into this rule? Have you, have you ever noticed that when somebody gets into office that all of these politicians, they give each other things so they get their votes. It's like they always like there was a politician in Louisiana the other day. He, he went out there on Facebook and put out every, all the pork he got, all of it. It was tons of it's like thirty five million dollars he brought back to South Louisiana for this, for that, yeah. and all like that. And I'm like, I thought you were going to cut all this. And here you right. are bringing it back. And it's like 
They all do the same shit. They all lie to you. They tell you they're going to do one thing. They go in. That's why I don't even feel like voting anymore because they all lie to you what they're going to do, the Republicans and the Democrats. That's they're all where, the same. That's where we're at now. We're all fed up with the whole system. It's not about the parties anymore. The and, whole, and, whole and system. And people get out there and they and they get they get mad and they think that their people are better and they don't see the big picture that they're all being screwed over. These people do not. The Republicans hate you as much as the Democrats hate you, probably more. Because they look at you like they go and they lie to you about what they're going to do, and then they go to do the complete opposite of what they say they're going to do. These representatives in Texas do that. The local ones, the state ones, yeah, and the federal ones, they all do it. Let's make another analogy here. If the all these groups, and we're just talking about in trucking, but we see this over and over and over. It's a pattern. It's been a pattern. They keep going to the government to try to solve a problem. Like I said, even if you succeed, which they almost never do, but even if you succeed, then the next administration is likely to turn it around anyway. But let's think about this. You and I both agreed on something. We could all agree these things are broken. The government, maybe you think the government could fix them. I usually don't think it will. But even if you did. I don't. I don't. How much more would a people, how much more effective would people be if this group you know, in trucking, if their officers do have well-run businesses, and in a lot of cases, I think they do. They've actually made the statement to me. This isn't a problem in my operation. I have a couple of good brokers I work with. I've got this. They're doing this for other people, they claim. Well, why don't instead get those other people to do what you've done? If you've done the right things, if you've taken responsibility, why wouldn't you just encourage and teach people to do that? That would be far, far more effective. But here's all I can think of. If your approach is, well, I figured this out, but I have to go to the government to help other. All you're telling me is you think I'm too stupid to do this. Why would I want to belong to a group that thinks I'm too stupid to fix my own problems? That's what I, they're saying. We figured this out. That. We're, we're smart enough. We saying. figured it yeah. out. But we don't think all these other people can figure it out. So we're going to lobby the government for their benefit, not for ours. Well, I would not and, belong and to a group that thought I was too worried, stupid they, to figure this out myself. They, Unless it, they want to... They're like they can take advantage of these people just to get money out of them to pay their dues, to, to keep well, saying they're going to help them and have them believe that they're going to help them when, in fact, they're really not in it to help them. They're in it to help themselves. I'm very suspicious of people like that. It's like, oh, I'm here to help you. Yeah. Uh, why are you here to help me? Because <laughs> you know? you're too I mean, stupid I'm, to help I'm yourself, so is, which should be their answer, because that's what they've said. Well, And you've always said there's some people that should not be in business. Correct. And it's like... People look at people look at transportation as a. I was sitting at a restaurant bar when I used to drink up in Dallas. I had there was nothing to do. I had a couple of days off. I was just sitting there by the truck stop. I was go to this restaurant and I was talking to this this lady in there, and she's like, she says, "What do you do?" I said, "Well, I have this car hauling business and this, that, and the other." And she's like, "Oh, we're getting ready to invest in, in a hot shot business." Oh I said, boy! Why would you do that? Well, we're going to make all this money. I said. You would be better off to invest in the stock market with a good stockbroker or a good plan than it is to, than to look at dr- buying a truck as an investment. Let, unless you're willing to get out there and get in it, 
Yeah, I, 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 and that's what you have out there. You know, I know sometimes I say the best place to invest is yourself and your own business. It's probably not the right word, though. I really don't consider that an investment. We could call it that, but I tend to think of most investments as being passive. If I put money in the stock market, I don't really have to work that hard. I mean, I should understand some things, but if I put money into real estate, it it can be somewhat passive. I don't have to work every day. Business is very, That's, very different. It's different than trucking. Right. There is trucking no... Trucking is so bio, volatile. Is, it's volatile. It's labor intensive. This is not an investment, in my opinion. It's a business that you have to work well, I, your ass off at. When I went to sell my old hot shot trailer, flatbed trailer, the first trailer I ever bought from that failed side of this. So I finally put it out there after I got it paid off and sold it. I had a guy come in across town here in the Houston area to get it. I paid $9,000 for it when they were going for seven. It was in really good shape. And I, he had come in there with a brand new pickup truck to pick it up. And I said, so you're going to be going out there and do this? Oh, no. I'm going to keep my job at the auto dealership <laughs> as a service writer. And I'm going to hire a driver to put in here. I said, you Failure. know what? You're going to do just fine. You're going to make a, I, I was, I know, I knew, I knew he was going to fail, yep. but I just told him I wanted that trailer gone. I wanted my $9,000 and I just told him what he wanted to hear. I mean, I'm sorry. I was trying to sell a damn trailer yep. and it's yeah. like, they're going to fail. I can see it from a salesman's <laughs> point of view. I didn't need that, but it's like, I'd already failed at that part of it. And it's like, if you're not going to get your butt out there, you're not going to bring enough revenue in to pay that driver to keep all of this stuff up. You're just not going to do it. Nope. Because hey. number one, you overpaid for that truck. So yeah. anyway. All right. Got to cut you loose. I've got one more call I want to get to before we wrap this up today. Let's go to Georgia. Bill, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? I'm just one of those guys that listen to your show and not a truck driver. I love all the information you give and all the, like the power hour and love to learn, learn all the stuff that you guys do there. Well, thank you. I, I, I just always find it curious. I guess I'm so wrapped up in all the trucking stuff. I think, how could this be interesting to somebody who isn't in trucking? But it must be because I've had people over the years. I have a dentist that listens all the time and sends me emails. I've got, uh, got an art salesman that listens. I, I, I've got some regulars that have been around for years, and I'm always surprised by that. Yeah, I work on computers all day and coin operated machines, slot machines. You know, one of the things I'm a little curious about, because I, I, I was a talk show junkie when I drove. I mean, that's how I ended up doing what I do. I love talk shows so much. I wanted to do one myself. Um, so I'm going way back to when it was AM, um, how hard that was as a driver. You know, you'd, you'd pick up a good show on AM and you'd have it for maybe a half hour and then you'd start to lose it. And now you got to go find another station or another show. Uh, if they were syndicated, it was nice. Maybe you could find another channel and pick up like Bruce Williams. You know, if I could, I might be able to find another channel. He was on when I lost one. But it, it was it was hard. But it seems to me like I remember so many good talk shows. Really good. They were hard to find. They might have been on AM, might not have been in their area. But driving around the country, I remember a lot of good talk shows. Now, all of a sudden, we have unlimited bandwidth. I mean, Sirius has a gazillion channels. There's podcasting, there's apps. And 
I don't know when it comes there, there's lots of good podcasts. I'm not a big podcast fan though. I, I prefer kind of live talk radio. It, has this genre almost died? But what, where are all the good talk radio shows we should have today? That's a good question. I haven't been able to find any recently. I've been listening to you since you're still on overnights on Sirius. Yeah, I, I used to listen to a lot of really good talk show hosts, and it's like they, they that has disappeared, and it seems to me like it should have grown. Maybe, though, it got replaced by all these podcasts, and maybe maybe most people like podcasts more. I don't, though. I, I have a hard time listening to most podcasts. Yeah, me, I'm the same way. I, I used to be on the road driving around a lot, and used to, I'd have a certain stations or shows I like to listen to and then I move around so much I don't, can't get them anymore and then I've, until I found you I didn't have, really have any left but I really like to listen to well thank you I appreciate it yeah. all I had I just appreciate all the information you guys give and keep up the good work thank you for the support alright we are going to wrap this up today you know uh I way overdid stuff on the weekend. Uh, Saturday was garden therapy. I got out and did a bunch in the garden. Um, I can't believe I'm already trying to turn over the garden for fall planting, but I, I need to. I need to get out there. I got some done on Saturday. I need to get some more done. And then I woke up Sunday and I realized I had missed a really good wind day on Saturday. In fact, I talked to somebody yesterday that said, you should have been out here Saturday because it was really ripping. So I thought, I got to get out on the water. Sunday was supposed to be a good day. Um, so I went out in the water. So Saturday was garden therapy. I probably overdid it. Um, Sunday was water therapy. I definitely overdid it. I went way too long. Uh, I started pushing it towards the end when I was getting tired and had a couple, you know, pretty spectacular crashes. Um, no permanent injuries, but I've got an arm that's a little tweaked. Um, I have some things that are sore that I didn't even know existed, uh, both from the physical workout of it and the crashes. The wind, man, when that wind is that powerful, it is crazy what that wing will do and how much power you can feel in the wing in your hands. I mean, my hands right now are aching trying to hold on in some of those gusts. Now, part of that is just inexperience. I should be feathering the wing out more and not trying to fight all of that power. But it's how I learn things. So I woke up this morning um, very, very late. Like I remember Lisa waking me up and saying, do you know it's seven o'clock? I'm usually out of bed on a show day by, you know, 5.30, 6.30. Uh, she said, you know, it's seven o'clock. And I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like getting up. Um, I didn't get out of bed until 7.30 to start an eight o'clock show. Uh, I thought I was going to do an hour and just quit. But actually, once I got started, got a little caffeine in me, I... I felt better. I don't feel on top of the world. I'm still, I didn't sleep real good last night. My sleep's been getting better this week, but I think last night I was just too sore and uncomfortable and just pushed a little too much. So uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I think I'm going to go work on my keynote. I've got a keynote coming up in October, which is also while I've got, I, I have to turn over the garden a little early this year uh, because we'll be taking off out of here the first week or so in October. So I've just got to have the garden shut down by then. Um, and normally I don't, but this year I'm going to have to. So I've got to turn things over a little early. 
There is a truck show in California that I've never been to. I think it's new. It's October 12th through the 14th, maybe. I don't remember for sure, but um, I'm thinking I might want to hit it if we can on the way to um, to Tennessee. I like that route better anyway. I like to go all the way south down to uh, skirt around L.A. and then catch Barstow and 40, come across 40. So we may do that. And if, if we've got time and it's going to work, I may, maybe we'll hit that truck show, see what it's like. Rest of this week is pretty simple. I don't think we have any guests at all this week. I think it's a pretty normal schedule. Uh, tomorrow will be the Power Hour, Wednesday, Destination Health. Thursday's a free-for-all and rolling tow. Friday is a free-for-all and trucking technology and efficiency. And we'll be doing our three Twitter spaces, as far as I know. So pretty normal week as far as what normal might be. We don't have a schedule nailed down yet, but we're getting closer. So we'll see you back here tomorrow and the rest of the week. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always. Do the hard work and master the journey.